turn it on and rip the knob off. Guys, welcome back again. Another episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, episode twenty-three. I'm your host Ray Russell, joined once again by Mr. Steve Ekstat. Steve, welcome back. Pleasure to be here, man. It's been a minute. <laughs> Listen, to this. what a what a true gentleman. Twenty-three episodes into this show, not counting the Power Hour, not counting the Watch Alongs, not counting Monday Warfare, and he still says a pleasure to be here. What a what a fine young gentleman you are, Steve. Very proper. <laughs> Hey, man, anytime you can wake up and do something you love doing, it's always a pleasure. So, <laughs> And it has been fun, and I, I, I want to personally apologize to anyone. You know, when we started this show, the main focal point for us was to make sure we got a show out every week on time, and unfortunately, I didn't really make that deadline last week. There was a, a lot of stuff going on in my world. I know we were coming off you on a, a very mini vacation, and then I ran right into a, a slew of funerals that, uh, that I needed to attend and other things. and. Just a lot of negativity, if you want to call it that, in, in my world. And I'm happy to... I'll tell you what I did do. We didn't have a lot of time to record during you know the past week or so, but I was nonstop when I had the free time watching the shows, not just here on The Grenade for the NW89, but I was also watching the Monday Warfare Show stuff, taking notes like crazy, like a madman. I have the next five episodes of The Grenade in the books for me, six weeks of TV, the Halloween Havoc, I took some notes, the Clash in November, I took notes. So... I've got five five weeks of shows here ready to go, so uh, we shouldn't have an issue moving forward. No, uh, I'm right there with you. I don't have the first week in November watched yet, but I'm pretty much done, with, obviously, with these that we're about to talk about and then the, the next set. So uh, we'll definitely get back on track. I know it's been tough, but um, January and December, December, January is always a rough time. Not necessarily rough, but just so busy. Holidays, and then you're trying to recoup and stimulus money, so you take advantage of that and get some, get some tr- well-needed vacation in and then obviously everything is what we both enjoy doing and love doing so uh, i can't wait to talk about some nwa right now absolutely and we will get going guys with the uh month of october we're in october of 1989 only three months left in this nwa 1989 memory grenade before we move into the next year and the next maybe change up promotions we'll have to wait and see we'll announce that in the future weeks to come but for right now we're still smack dab in the fall of 1989, heading into Halloween and heading into Halloween Havoc, the very first Halloween Havoc pay-per-view coming up October 28th. We'll discuss that on this episode, next episode, and in two episodes, we'll be doing the Halloween Havoc watch-along. So that'll be fun. As we get going, I always like to be a, a completion, completionist, completist, well, completionist, right? That's the word. I know you are too, so I was doing a lot of uh, research, and there's a lot of missing footage for some odd reason from October through December. There's a shit ton of missing NWA footage, not necessarily the Saturday night program, the World Championship Wrestling program, but Worldwide, Pro, even a few Power Hours, the main event. There's a lot of missing in action here, and I've been doing quite a bit of my due diligence to find a lot of said missing footage, and I did so. And as I was uncovering October footage that was missing, and even November footage that was missing, I found just a little teeny piece of something we missed on the last episode. And being the completionist that I am, I just wanted to mention real quick, going back to 
the episode of Worldwide on September 23rd that we covered in the last episode. Not a really big deal, but like I said, I just like to make sure I get everything out there, all, all the information out there. We, or I did, I mentioned that the show closed with Gordon Soley uh, announcing that Terry Funk was reinstated as part of, as the way to close the show. However, that's not how the show ended. That's how the version that's out there ended. I found a new version, Steve, and there's actually one more match tacked on to the end, and that's Wildfire Tommy Rich taking on Randy Rose, which was kind of cool on paper anyway, seeing Randy Rose in a one-on-one setting. Unfortunately, he, he wasn't given a lot of time to shine here. Tommy Rich uh, sl- tries to slide under into a sunset flip. Rose fights, but then takes the bump anyway. Very sloppy spot. The whole match was very sloppy, believe it or not. I'm sure you believe it. And Tommy Rich gets the win in <laughs> sort of a odd-looking sunset flip type spot. Match only went three and a half minutes, and it wasn't very good at all. But I, I just, like I said, I just wanted to point it out. There's another match. People that I know, you know, like uh, Richard Land and the guys over there at History of WWE, they like to get this information. People that are completionists, they make notes. They All these websites online, you look up all the results and things. They look for f- stuff like this. They need stuff like this. And we use them sometimes as a reference for our show. So I want to give back as well whenever I can. So that's what I'm doing here. With, just with that quick note there with Tommy Rich over Randy Rose on uh, Worldwide for September 23rd. And we'll continue on with this show. And I wanted to mention, as we closed out last show, we talked about the October 1st main event. And we talked about it being a syndicated version of the main event, which we couldn't find. And there's very good reason there wasn't a TBS version we could find, because it appears it never aired, though it was scheduled to air. And I have a clipping here, an excerpt from Demeltz's Observer, and it states, Sunday, October 1st, the NW main event, through absolutely no fault of the NWAs, the Braves once again go into extra innings. At least it was their final game of the season. An NWA main event never airs. To make matters worse, after sitting through a baseball game, hoping it would, it would end and we'd see at least some of the wrestling show, when it does end, they air a commercial talking about the wrestling show and the Flair versus Slater main event coming up next. And then we go straight from a commercial advertising the main event of the main event into a movie that begins airing 15 minutes early instead of the actual wrestling show. And it says, this is not to blame TBS either, because I'm sure at this point that the movies are drawing better than TV ratings are, our wrestling ratings are here on TV at this point. And the hits just keep coming or the misses just keep coming here in the NWA. (laughs) Are you shocked by this at all? I mean, <laughs> well, you can't really blame the NWA at this point. Uh, I mean, I, on that, in that instance, but it's, that's crazy. Uh-oh. You know, you sit there and I was one of those kind of people. I was waiting for the show. To, I used to do that with radio WWF. If there was a, there was a local game on and local soccer, local hockey, whatever it was. And you waited for it to end, just hoping to get the last 30 minutes hour of radio WWF or things like that. So I could have seen myself sitting there waiting for the, all right, the Braves game's over. Here we go. Main event time. There's the commercial up next. Ric Flair and Dick Slater. All right, that sounds like a barn burner, which we did see on Pro, I believe it was anyway. So we got to see the match. But you sit around waiting, and then two minutes later after the commercial break, a movie pops on. What a mess. Yeah, I'd be pretty salty. <laughs> <laughs> pretty salty with that. But I guess when you own the station, I guess it has its pitfalls and its upside. So they can just do whatever they want. Yeah, and the big pitfall that they have is nobody but Turner wants wrestling on, on their channels. So it's really not working in their favor. Absolutely. Let's talk about the big news uh, heading into October here. After the plastic bag suffocation angle at the clash 
And then the Scott Steiner beatdown from the limo segment, the vignette with the uh, Doom, Kevin Sullivan attacking and laying out Scott Steiner. Turner heads are cracking down. On October 6th, the NWA receives a message from Turner, not Ted Turner, but the company, stating that NWA Professional Wrestling, a show about gratuitous violence, could no longer contain gratuitous violence. No violence on wrestling. And not only no physical violence, but no verbal threats. So they can't even tell one another they're going to beat each other's asses. What the fuck is this? <laughs> Sounds like you got a bunch of idiots running this show, and they have no idea what they got and what they have. They don't watch it. They just hear they 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 hear the calls of people calling in that are pissed off about these angles, and it's really one or two things that probably are a little questionable. Definitely the funk angle is definitely questionable in my book. I don't know why you try to suffocate somebody. I don't. Terry Funk doesn't need to do that to get any more heat than he already had. So I, I mean, I get that one, but. Scott Steiner just got the, his ass kicked. Maybe, and maybe if uh, he didn't have his brother pop him one, he, it probably wouldn't be as bad. You know, it's just a beatdown. It's just the wrestling angle. But who knows, man? Pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I think it was just all the calls that Turner got from these two very realistic. They took things to a new level in, in different ways with these. You were out on the streets. You didn't see street angles a lot other than the old dusty uh, beatdown with the with the make it good, baby, with the, with the baseball bat, you really didn't see a lot of uh, outside of the bit, the studio beatdowns and things. So a little more realism there. And then the suffocation angle, that is what it is. I don't really need to go back, go back over that. But I feel like Turner wanted to own the NWA, but also have nothing to do with it. Like, he, he appreciates it. It made him. It made TBS. It really did. It, it really funded his fortune to some degree, at least on television. So you get these corporate suit idiots who are in place of Turner because Turner has better things to do. Ted Turner, uh, let's be honest. But these, these suits, these corporate suits, they hate wrestling to begin with. So it feels like they're, they're trying to sabotage it. Yeah, you can have a wrestling program, but you can't actually wrestle on your wrestling program. That's ridiculous. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the Russell Copia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, 
but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. So on the last episode, I mentioned a little bit about this upcoming October 8th Omni card. So I want to run over that real quick here. October 8th, 1989, Atlanta, Georgia at the Omni, a sellout. Dynamic dudes over the militia. Norman over Tommy Rich. Thank God. The Z-Man over Bill Irwin. Brian Pillman defeats Eddie Gilbert once again. The Skyscrapers defeat the Road Warriors on a disqualification. And this is the interesting one. It was supposed to be Sting taking on TV champion The Great Muda in a rematch from the last Omni card when Muda beat Sting for the vacant title, with Gary Hart was supposed to be suspended in a shark cage above the ring for this match. Instead, Muda is not a show. I don't really know what the story is here because he's on every card before this and every card after this. So very odd that we saw Sting miss a match with Muda at the Omni back in August, and now here we are in October and it's Muda missing a match with Sting. Very weird uh, I, I really don't know what the story is here, but Sting actually fights Gary Hart, who was a substitute for the great Muda. So I can't imagine that being a very pretty match as Gary Hart. He, he does. He refuses to bump as it is. So I'm thinking this match went a minute, two minutes and just a nothing match. I'm sure. Yeah, probably went to a draw though. I'm a, maybe Funk or Slater came out and interfered or something. Yeah. That's my only guess would have had to have been probably something. And that's another thing. If Dick Slater is, around here and he is at this card why not just book sting versus dick slater i'm thinking slater may unless they were just looking for an angle here with slater maybe running in i'm not really sure how this played out but if slater was on this card you would have to think they would have just subbed slater for muda and still did the gary hart spot or gimmick with the cage so i I don't know what i looked everywhere i looked in the observer i looked in results like i said muda works all the shows around this date dave Meltzer doesn't really mention it other than there was a substitution doesn't say why so I really have no answer to this, but it was just really hmm. odd. Yeah, doesn't make any sense, especially when you build it from the last Omni show that this is the rematch, and for him to not be there is definitely awkward. We continue on with the Omni results. NWA United States champion, the total package Lex Luger over Dr. Death. That would have been intriguing. And the Steiner brothers defeat the tag team champion Freebirds, but don't get excited. It was only by disqualification. So the Birds, for right now, are still the champs. And in the main event, NWA World Champion Ric Flair defeated Terry Funk in the I Quit match. They were uh, building up pretty heavy on TV going into the, uh, the Omni show. So I like that they're selling the Omni cards on their TV show, but at the same time, it's really weird that that's the only show they're, they're really hardcore selling. As if I understand their TV is now based out of Atlanta, but at the same time, their big houses were also North Carolina, South Carolina. They're not really selling any other cards. Only the Omni cards on TV. Really weird. Yeah, I'm just wondering if it's because they're trying to sell it to the people in the in the studio. Uh, other than that, I really don't know. Like we, everybody knew like MSG was WWF's big house, but it all depends on where you is at. You know what event centers and what they're talking about, like on the card. Yeah, like you mentioned, the Howard Finkel pop in for like the Boston Garden or whatever that we heard on NWA at one point. I can't remember when it was, but uh, I think it was Lance Russell just talking about a show in the area. Yeah, so, I mean, it's definitely awkward that you're just focusing on one house show out of the whole circuit. 
kind of defeats the purpose. You want them to go to all of them, not just one. I just thought of this. You know, it's weird. They really get all this pub and push uh, for the Omni shows, and they seem to be the only ones that are doing well. So it's like, why didn't they put two and two together? It's like, oh, when you promote this stuff, the shows actually do well. Let's do this everywhere. Huh. <laughs> Light bulb should go off for somebody at that point. Whatever works, I suppose. I mean, if those shows are doing well, at least they're, they're making revenue in one, one arena anyway at this point. <laughs> right. And we'll move on with October TV. The NWA Power Hour for October 6th, taped back on September 25th in Johnstown, PA, at the Cambria County War Memorial Arena. Whoa, that's a mouthful. Show gets going with the Z-Man, taking on Trent Knight. And I figured it out, Steve. I think I figured it out. I was listening to the Z-Man's entrance music because he wrestles plenty here in October. And it sounds almost like the theme or one of the themes, the music used in the 89 Batman movie. Again, it doesn't fit the Z-Man character. It doesn't, really doesn't even sound like a, a ring entrance at all. Maybe somebody just thought it was cool. Hey, the Batman movie's pretty big, so let's let's use that. That'll get that'll get him over. <laughs> to me, when I hear Z-Man, I'm thinking of a comic book character with a mask, a full body suit, things like that. Obviously, Tom Zink's not that, but that's what I think when I think of Z-Man. And so the music fits that character, but it doesn't fit who's playing the character, if that makes sense. Oh, no, I hear you. Absolutely. Like I said, you know, if you remember back, some of the original news and notes where the original plan was for the Z-Man character to be a masked wrestler. Here I wrote for the match, Zink is a little more mobile, but he's working into that Tommy Rich mold right now. And based on Zink's age and the shape of his body, there's really no excuse that he should be working in this slow pace, this Tommy Rich style pace. Could you imagine if Zink and Tommy Rich teamed up? Yikes. Oh, Lord. Please spare us. I hope you're not foreshadowing anything here. No, not that I know of. And uh, (laughs) Zink dropkicks Knight out to the floor to begin things, but... Back inside, Tom Zink misses a charge in the corner, and Trent Knight actually takes over with a little bit of offense. Zink winds up sliding through his legs, popping up behind him and locking Trent Knight in the sleeper hold. The Z-Man gets to win 3 minutes, 43 seconds. Nothing in the world against Trent Knight. I don't even mind him being competitive. He's a solid, solid worker. But Z-Man just debuted. This is not the way to get over giving up this much offense to a job guy. Trent Knight carried like half the match uh, doing the offensive thing. So, yeah, definitely not very good. Tom Zing's about to get thrown a bone here in a couple weeks. So, uh, <laughs> thank God for that for him anyway. But we'll talk about that when it happens. But, yeah, this is kind of a nothing match. I was surprised how much offense Trent Knight got. And it's that time again for Gordon Sully. Ah, ah, and WNN this week, Gordon talks all about the Thunderdome. And we hear a little, little ditty. It's, it's a, a nice little vignette. Hyping up the Thunderdome cage match. Let's take a listen. In a small, secluded blacksmith shop, hidden deep in the mountains, three strange men work around the clock to complete the biggest challenge of their careers. Thunderdome. For wrestling's toughest, the steel cage is home. But there's never been one like the Thunderdome. There's no way in and no way out. It's Halloween Havoc's most frightening bout. Six tons of steel and electrified. The only way to win is the Terminator outside. For Funk and Muda, Sting and Flair, these blacksmiths have made sure they'll stay right there. It's 30 feet high. It's 30 feet wide. There's no place to run and no place to hide. There's no way to win, only to lose. And how you do that depends on the Terminator you use. It's Halloween Havoc and the Thunderdome. If you want to take part, best pick up your phone. So three strange men 
building the Thunderdome. It's 30 feet high and 30 feet wide. First of all, it is not 30 feet high. So I could, they were just looking to, to rhyme some things here, I suppose. But the three men, there's a, there's a black gentleman in there. There's a, uh, a guy who has his back to us. He has the, uh, the mask on as he's welding something. I'm not really sure. I guess he's putting together a piece of the cage, I suppose. And I'm thinking maybe that's Scrap Iron Bill Ford because it kind of matches his gimmick, right? Scrap Iron? I don't know. But there's one man there, un- unmistakably, that sticks out yes. above all. Big Bully Busick makes a cameo here, and I can't believe they don't use him. And he was a Georgia, a longtime Georgia indie worker. It was the bully. So it was pretty cool to see him here in this vignette building the Thunderdome cage match. Yeah, I noticed him right away. I was like, oh, that's the bully. He looked great. So I, I'm surprised they never used him on TV. I'm with yeah, you there, man. It's really weird that they use him for a vignette, but they, they won't use him in the ring. And he, like you said, he looks like a, a million bucks. Is, you know, he had a, had a great, great body and just a cool look overall. Yeah, definitely unique for wrestling back then. You had a lot of muscle heads, but this dude, he looked different. I always, for however short it was, I enjoyed his run in the WWF. I, 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 he was just different. I actually got mad because uh, he debuted in the early going, the, the beginning of the infancy of Global in June, July of 91. And then just as fast as he popped up there, he moved over to the WWF. And I was kind of bummed because I was really getting into him in global. And then he just, boom, and he's on WWF TV. And I'm like, well, all right, here he is. This is a global guy. Cool. And then you saw what they did with him there. Not a whole lot, unfortunately. I I loved his look. I loved the gimmick. I thought it looked really cool. Old-timey bully. And what a mustache on that guy. Oh, yeah. Tremendous. Show goes on with the dynamic dudes now advised by Jim Cornette taking on Captain Mike Rotunda and the Cuban assassin. So Mike Rotunda now relegated to teaming with the Cuban. Jim Rossador alerts us that Stan Lane is on commentary, which I thought was a nice touch here. I got a bunch of notes simply because I thought the commentary carried this match. The match certainly didn't carry this match. You have Rotunda, the Cuban, the dudes all in one (laughs) ring at the same time. No, thank you. So I paid extra close attention to the commentary between Jim Ross and Stan Lane as they begin working the gimmick or the story, continuing the storyline between the dudes and the Midnights and, and the hatred between Stan Lane and, and Johnny Ace. As Ross informs Cornette of the fact that Stan Lane's stepping in, Corny looks startled. He tells Jim Ross not to ask him too many questions. But on commentary, as Stan Lane joins, you can, you can tell Corny's fingerprints are all over this booking. I thought it was the excellent, simple little things like this that really furthered this angle. Yeah, I think so too. It's very subtle things like that. So you could t- definitely tell this is something like he did, and he did this in Smoky Mountain all the time. But it never got old to me anyway. It's just solid booking. It's booking one on one to me. That's why I enjoy this angle. It's not like the best workers. Obviously, the dudes kind of stink together, but this feud made him a little bit relevant and gave him some time and actually put him in something that was going somewhere. And knowing that the Midnight's were kind of on the outs almost <laughs> until Jim Ross or Jim Cornette came up with this to kind of stave them off. Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world when you have decent booking behind it. Jim Ross stirs the pot with Stan Lane on commentary. He says, Cornette is spending an awful lot of time with those dudes. Stan Lane thinks Corny spends almost too much time with the dudes. Stan ponders, where does advising stop and managing begin? Good question, Stan. I've been wondering the same thing. Jim Ross asks Stan Lane, what's his assessment of the dudes? Lane says, Shane has a good dropkick. And that's, that's about my takeaway, too, of the dude, Steve. Shane has a good dropkick. And uh, very astute, Stan Lane, because it's about all I could come up with as well. Stan guesses that the Pretty dudes much. will... Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what else are you going to get out of these two? 
Ace is doing about nothing Shane right now. Been, yeah. Yeah, Shane would have been better off by himself. Stan guesses the dudes will do okay in time and make it somewhere close to the Midnight Express someday. Lane says, when you talk about basics, Rotunda knows them all. And that's all he knows. So I love that line. When you talk about basics, Rotunda knows them all. Stanley's shooting there a little bit, whether he meant to or not. We actually see the dudes cheat during the match. They do the old Arn and Tully fake tag hand slap behind the referee's back. Interesting. Obviously, Cornette teaching them those antics. I thought it was interesting. It's like the only time they did anything like this in the, in the entire match, though. I would like to have seen it done repeatedly. Not necessarily the same spot, but a few different heel-ish tactics would have made this more intriguing instead of just that one spot it felt weird that they do that and they just move back to being baby faces uh, stan says that it's the most sincerest form of flattery to have the dudes doing their their moves which is basically the heel heelish moves jim ross compares johnny ace to bobby eaton coming off the top rope and i wrote get the fuck out of here jr uh stan lane wouldn't go that far either so i, I couldn't believe johnny ace came off the ropes i didn't even write what he did he came off the top rope with something and jim ross goes Oh, that's, uh, sh- you know, he didn't say shades of, but basically shades of Bobby Eaton. Or, you know, I compare that to Bobby Eaton, and I, I couldn't believe Jim Ross is really trying to sell this shit hard. Probably has his hand in the cookie jar. Well, that's very true. Is uh, Ross hears that Stan Lane and Johnny Ace aren't the best of pals. And Lane says he doesn't want to get into that on TV. He's here to talk wrestling. Fucking JR trying to start shit here. Stan Lane puts over Shane a little bit, impressed with him. But shits all over Johnny Ace asks, when is he going to get back in the ring? Shane Douglas has worked almost this entire match. Once they do get heat on Ace, it's very short. And then we get Shane back in the ring again and heat on Shane again. I'm happy they kept Johnny Ace out of the ring, but it was very noticeable that Shane did most of the work. And then I wrote, holy shit, we're 10 minutes into this match and they're still getting heat. And Mike Rotunda, of course, with the abdominal stretch of doom with the Cuban's assist, grabbing Rotunda's hand for uh, extra leverage. And referee Tommy Young misses the dude's tag, which sucked because I was hoping for the hot tag to take this shit home. And the heels then lure Ace in, allowing Rotunda to toss Shane Douglas over the top rope. Tommy Young misses the DQ there, not saying he would have called it anyway. We know how the refs call these over-the-top rope shits here in the NWA in 89. Rotunda tries for the write-off, but Shane drops down and IRS goes flying over the top rope himself. How's that for karma? Shane Douglas comes back with a flying forearm on the Cuban and finally a hot tag to Johnny Ace. The dudes come in, double drop kick on Rotunda. The wipeout on the Cuban gets the win. Are you ready for this, Steve? 17 minutes, 39 seconds. <laughs> wow. That's ridiculous. These guys have no business going that long. I know they can, but doesn't mean you should. This is pretty boring. And the like you said, the commentary just carries this match. Stan was great. Uh, he did his part in putting this angle over. But the, the work inside was just terrible. And to close out the match, Stan Lane claims that he has no problem with Johnny Ace, but Johnny Ace might have a problem with him. So the seeds have already been planted. We're just continuing to grow this plant that is the dudes versus the midnights here. And Jim Cornette smack dab in the middle of it. And I wrote, thank God. For this commentary, because this match was. But then Stan Lane and Jim Ross, their commentary really brought me back into it. And I almost didn't focus on the match after that. I just listened and I thought Stan Lane did a great job for 18 minutes, mind you, out here. A guy who really doesn't ever have to cut a promo. And he carries the commentary, however, did a good job. I couldn't believe it went this long. Longest match all year 
on TV to the best of my knowledge. And it's this, Steve. This is what they chose to put on TV for 18 minutes. There's just no heat. The dudes aren't playing the crowd at all. Even during the heat spots, and there were, believe me, there was plenty of heat on Shane and Johnny because it went 18 fucking minutes. They never sold to the crowd. Uh, and when Shane was getting all that heat put on him, I kept watching Johnny. Johnny never once turned to the fans, stomped his foot, called on their support, slapped his hand on the turnbuckle, clapped his, did anything. He did nothing. And it's just these little things like that. And Shane never really played to the crowd either as he was selling. So it's, they never really got the crowd behind him. Yes. To be honest with you, this feels like two guys that have no uh, no interest in doing what they're doing. I think they want to be wrestlers and they want to be in the ring, but they don't want to be in this gimmick. I don't think they want to tag together. I think they're just ready for all this to be over with. You can clearly tell that's the case here because they just don't give a shit. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for them. I feel like they're just doing their damnedest, to be honest with you. I'm not putting them over by saying that. I just mean, this is all they're really capable of doing, at least together. I can't imagine they're, they're shitting on this. It's getting them on pay-per-views. It's getting them on The Clash. They have Jim Cornette in their corner, which is a heat magnet. And then they're, they're in a yeah. probably, sadly to say, the best angle, the best storyline right now in the NWA, booking-wise, I mean. Not, not the best wrestlers involved because of the dudes, but at the end of the day, it's probably the most well-thought-out and well-planned, probably because Cornette has his hand like all over. He's got the only hand in this cookie jar. There's no doubt about it. This is his baby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I, I get that, but I just don't I don't think they like the gimmick and we, we talked about it ad nauseum on all our shows across the ta- across the the network that you have to buy in and you may be giving shit but you need to turn it into chicken salad, you know. And um the dynamic dudes I think from the get go had no no interest in being this gimmick at all. And we've we've noticed that from the get go. So and at this point I don't even feel like they're even trying to get better. Like it's something so simple as just stomping your foot to get the crowd into it and getting behind you that they don't even want to try to do or even think about doing. I mean, if Jim Cornette's advising you, they should have some of the things that he should be telling you. I get it. It's an angle and everything, but shit, somebody needs to talk to him. We'll move Put on. Put a little it's, effort, guys. Yeah, even a little would be nice, to be honest with you. <laughs> and it's that time again. It's time for Funk's Grill. And his guest this week is Woman. And Terry Funk has a song prepared for a woman. It goes a little bit like this, Steve. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Funky woman, hang your drawers out on the line. Funky woman, hang your drawers out on the line. Your drawers so funky, the sun don't want to shine. I'm not sure that that's necessarily a compliment coming from Terry Funk. I don't know that he cares, but that doesn't sound like a compliment when discussing woman and her funky drawers. Yeah, I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> I have I have absolutely no idea. Terry Funk's in his own world. It's like you gotta compartmentalize Terry Funk. Terry Funk, outside of Funk's grill, is you know, the badass deal that kind of carried NW eighty nine on that side of the spectrum. Terry Funk on Funk's grill is just the complete opposite. It's just some dude who's been given a platform and he's gonna do whatever the hell he wants with it. Nobody's going to tell him any different, and he's just going to do whatever the hell he wants. Because I, I got to be honest with you, half the time he's a heel. Yeah, Terry Funk. He's just being Terry Funk. Yeah, Terry Funk on the grill reminds me so much of my grandfather. To be honest, the, the comedy stuff anyway. Um, that song sounds like something my grandfather would have come up with. So somebody just having some fun, basically, is what we got here. He introduces woman as Robin Green, and she has to correct him. She is not Robin Green. She is woman. I think she has to correct him two or three times. 
during this promo as well. She hits on Terry Funk, but the Funker says he's married and puts over his six foot three, 175 pound bodybuilder expert marksman wife. Way to go, Terry, there. The Funker asks why woman attacked Scott Steiner. She says because she knew if she could prove that she could get to the tough Steiner brothers, she could get to anyone. And then she begins to refer to Terry Funk as old Big Tex. How you like that? And uh, Funk thinks about replacing Gary Hart with woman as his Terminator at Halloween Havoc, but he decides in the end of the day to stick with Gary Hart. Really a nothing happening promo here. It doesn't really do anything other than it's, it's just another typical Funk's grill, basically. Yeah, my last note for this one was another wasted segment. <laughs> we did get a song out so, of it, though. Could be a hit. Yeah. One day. Not in 2021, I'll tell you that. Back to the ring. Road Warrior Animal with Paul Ellering in his corner, taking on, as it says on the screen, on the Chiron, Militia Man Jacko. That's Jacko Victory, for anyone uh, wondering. He's accompanied to the ring by his partner, Rip Morgan. We get an insert promo with Teddy Long and the Skyscrapers on facing the roadies at Halloween Havoc. Teddy Long is going to lay, play, and parlay as these Skyscrapers take out the Road Warriors in just a few weeks' time. I was impressed. I know Animal's a strong guy, but he presses Jack Victory up over his head with really not a whole lot of help from Victory and all of that lower level body weight. If you know what I'm talking about, that 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 big ass on Jack Victory and Animal just puts it right up there in the air, <laughs> right. no problem. Usually, the upper half of your body or the the midsection is where all your weight's at. Jack Victory a little lower than most, and Animal's still right up over his head. Presses Jack Victory and then drop kicks him so high he almost misses Jack Victory. I I'd never seen Animal throw a drop kick that high. Very impressive. Animal was like making up for the fact that Hawk is not here right now. He's doing. He's looking really good. I don't know what the deal is there. What's going on with the roadies? I don't know where Hawk went or anything like that. But yeah, again, that's uh, Animal's looking pretty good by himself. Yeah, that's something I looked into also. As far as uh, the observer goes, I, I can't come up with an exact answer. So you just have to wonder, because it's Hawk, what it, what it potentially could be. But as the match gets going, Rip Morgan distracts Animal and Jacko, sends Animal to the floor. And Rip Morgan tosses Animal into the rail and chokes him on the outside. Jack Victory with some of his shitty offense, the eye rakes, the shitty-looking forearms, finally runs right into an Animal boot in the corner. Animal makes the comeback. Power slam, flying shoulder block. Rip Morgan actually comes in the ring while Nick Patrick is busy, busy with Paul Ellering on the apron, and the militia try a double back suplex on Animal, but he flips behind, lands on his feet, double clothesline on both members of the militia, and Animal covers victory after the clothesline. Five minutes and eight seconds. Yeah, not bad. Like like I said, Animals look really good in the absence of Hawk, so I wasn't surprised by this. This week's power minute, and I don't know what the hell that is, Steve. I don't, I don't, this is the power hour. Apparently, they have a power minute. And the power minute this week is Animal Winning, which they go to break right after Animal wins, and then they come back and show us the last minute of the match again, as if we needed to see it again. Uh, but at least it's not the dudes again. I couldn't, I couldn't bother to see another minute of that 18 minute fiasco earlier in the show. So I'm not complaining completely because it could have been worse, I suppose. I don't even remember what was the first match. <laughs> Z-Man and Trent Knight. We could have seen Trent Knight getting all the offense in a squash match. but Z-Lock, baby. That's right. I wrote down here, they, they were shilling the Omni, even here on the power. Typically, they shill the Omni hard on the World Championship Wrestling episode. Here this week, they're even doing it on the power hour. So that also played in. That's the October 8th one we already discussed. 
And the wrestlers of the week this week, that's plural, are the skyscrapers. And I can't argue that. No, they can be the wrestlers of the week every week, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> They're awesome. It's time for NWA Pro, October 7th from Salisbury, Maryland, taped October 2nd, I believe. And we got Bob and Lance once again on the call. Ring announcer is Tony Gillum. I haven't noticed him too much here in 1989, so I thought that was in- interesting. Uh, the intro of the show reminds us last week we closed the show with the beginning of a Ric Flair-Dick Slater match. It's actually a brawl that somehow turns into a match, and we'll see the remainder of that match here this week on Pro, and it's more lay play and parlay with Teddy Long and Norman. This time in the promo, Teddy Long tells Norman not to speak so that Long can speak. He says the entire promo was Teddy Long speaking. <laughs> he tells Norman he can finally speak. Norman says, yeah. So we go from nah, nah, yeah. to yeah. So Norman uh, building his vocabulary here in the NWA. It's working on it. And to the ring, it is Norman, the lunatic, along with Teddy Long and the key taking on Tommy Angel. Norman stealing Rick Steiner's mismatching boots gimmick here this week. Norman tosses Angel around the ring before Angel tries a sunset flip. Bad move. Trip to the back cave. As Norman drops his knees down and crotch in the face of Tommy Angel, gets the win in only 53 seconds. And it's more Teddy Long. Another promo this time with the skyscrapers. This time the promo on the Road Warriors. The roadies are a Volkswagen about to get hit by an 18-wheeler. More lay, play, and parlay, playa. Hawk's still missing in action. We get a rebuttal. From Paul Ellering and Road Warrior Animal. Animal says the roadies aren't laying down for anyone. Boy, if that, if no truer words have been spoken. Uh, they aren't going to start now. The four biggest guys in wrestling will kick butt at Halloween Havoc. Uh, what do you think so far of this buildup? Not, not really a, a big story behind it, but it doesn't need to be like that, I, I don't think, in this instance. It's just these guys, their work speaks for itself, and we're just anticipating seeing them get in the ring. It's almost wiser to keep them separated going into this pay-per-view. Yeah, I think so too. Let it marinate for a while. Let you get build up that anticipation. It, it kind of stinks Hawks out at this point, but I, I would love to see like three or four weeks of uh, the roadies and the skyscrapers just taking turns, beating the hell out of jobbers, you know, uh, like may not necessarily come out and say it, but you know, the roadies have a match and they destroy somebody. Then the skyscrapers come out and they're destroying somebody. It's like a one up upsmanship that the, the managers can kind of speak on, and then you, you finally get the match at Halloween Havoc. Like, you can't wait to see it because you're tired of seeing them destroy these jobbers. Let's just see them in the ring with each other. So I, I definitely agree. Sometimes you need angles and things like that to build the anticipation, but when you got four guys the size of those guys, you don't need anything. Just save it for the match. And, yeah, I, think, uh, I, think that is, I think that is the storyline. We're going to see these two guys go out. Yeah, I mean, there's really not much else you need to do with teams like the Road Warriors and the Skyscrapers. Just let them go out there and kill some job guys, and we'll see you guys at Havoc. We continue on with the show. It's the Midnight Express, coming to the ring by their manager, Jim Cornette, taking on Joe Cruz and Gene Ligon. Stan Lane with a Russian leg sweep sets up Cruz as Bobby Eaton comes off the top rope with a flying elbow three quarters of the way across the ring. Randy Savage may have the best elbow in the business, Bobby Eaton didn't do it very often, but man, his elbow drop has to be number two. If Savage is one, Eaton's has got to be number two. Very underrated elbow drop. Like I said, Bobby never did it a whole lot, but man, what a great elbow drop. And three quarters of the way across the ring. Very impressive. Yeah, it was definitely awesome. Uh, definitely stuck out. I have a note about it here on my on my sheet too. So 
Uh, definitely something that you remember because it, it looked great. I know Brett gets the name excellence of execution, but Bobby's right there with him. Uh, he's so good and so crisp and clean. Everything looks excellent, and um, his elbow is no different. And as the Midnights are beating down these job guys, it's the Freebirds who make their way to ringside. And I wrote, well, shit, it was nice while it lasted. That meaning that we hadn't had to see the Freebirds in a whole episode of the Power Hour and half of uh, Pro. So I, we, I forgot they existed for just a little bit here. Unfortunately, here they are. And it's the rocket launcher on Joe Cruz as Bobby Eaton gets the win in two and a half minutes. And as soon as the Midnights pick up the win, the Freebirds hit the ring, attack immediately. And the Midnight Express don't seem to need any help, but the dudes come out anyway. Even though it was two on two, fair odds, the Freebirds against the Midnights, the dudes, the baby faces, actually stack the odds against the heels, the Freebirds, as it's a four on two. And the birds bail ASAP. And dudes want to shake the hands of the Midnights, but the Midnights walk away. They walk off, Steve. They don't want any help. They didn't ask for any help. Cornette stays in the ring with the dynamic dudes instead of leaving with his team that he manages. Another excellent piece of the storyline. And Bob and Lance did an excellent job of telling the entire story of the angle here. Yeah, I agree. This is awesome. Like you said, they didn't need any help beating the birds. I mean, they, they was handling jobbers, so it's not like they're worn out or anything. They just didn't have a big, long match. So they was more than ready to take on the the uh, birds there. And then the dudes came out and stuck their nose in their business that they didn't want. So, again, like you mentioned earlier, it's just subtle things that Jim Cornette does that really slow builds uh, uh, the angle. And and the, the best thing about it is, like, you don't necessarily know when it's coming. You can kind of sense it, and you kind of have a feeling it's coming. That Cornette's, you obviously know Cornette's not going to leave his guys. That's what everybody's thinking. That's the best part about his angles is you just don't know when that that moment's going to happen. It can go for a while. It, it could take months, or, you know, or it could take two more weeks. You just don't know. And that's the beauty of the way he does his work. Um, I'm trying to make sense. It's not really coming together for me, but I think no, I, I, think I get, get what you're saying. I mean, that, it's uh, the storyline could end next week. It could it could end in six weeks. Basically, yeah, because, because of so where we're at. at, just doing those little things. He's just so good at those little things, and just he could have Stan Lane and Johnny Ace go at it for three months before they even realize they hate each other. <laughs> I mean, so uh, he, he's that good. And if you don't believe me, just go watch Smoky Mountain. Like he does this all the time, and it's awesome. It never gets old. Yeah, and I thought the announcing was tremendous here. You know, Bob and Lance are always the the play by play guy. Uh, Lance, you know, did a great job at the Memphis wrestling. Bob, always the play-by-play guy with uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship wrestling and things like that. But here, they, especially Lance, they really set the stage. They tell the backstory. I don't know if they're giving bullet points, what the deal is, but they know the direction they're going. And, man, they just hammer it out of the park the entire match. And not just this week. I mean, every week they, they're talking about the facials that the wrestlers are making, the mannerisms. They're, they're picking up on little things that we might not even notice here that we're looking for here in 2021. I thought I just thought they did a really good job. So yeah, they're move, great. They're a great team. We move on. It's Pettacino knows. He talks the roadies versus the skyscrapers at Havoc. He also says Jim Hurd set a trap for Terry Funk, knowing the Funker wouldn't pay the $100,000 fine. It would have kept him suspended. But the man who Funk tried to murder paid the fine instead. Ric Flair, of course, paid the fine. Terry Funk's back. Joe Pettacino seems very angry 
about all of this. And is that good for business, corporate business, mind you, alerting the entire fan population that the executive vice president of the NWA sets traps in order to screw wrestlers? Joe's blood sugar might be a little low. Time for another shot of gravy there, Joe. Because he just seemed, comes out very, very angry. <laughs> Some of these uh, episodes of Pettacino knows. Well, he's just getting into it. He's like, a, it almost feels like they have him set up to be like a fan. You know, fans. No, he's, he the he's the fans man. man. Yeah. Yeah, the go. fans man. So uh, he he sounds like he's basically acting like the way the NWA wants you to react as a fan. Uh, that's how it feels to me. I say get rid of Joe Pettacino and put Bonnie Blackstone on the TV. We move on. It's time for an interview with your man, the U.S. champion, Total Package, Lex Luger promo. He says the beat goes on for another week. 5% body fat and six foot four. Is Luger really six foot four? Because I didn't think he was that tall. But that's what he says here. He's six foot four inches. I know wrestlers embellish yeah. their heights. I just don't remember Lex being six four. I thought he was always I know I thought Jim Ross always built him as six five, two seventy-five. Very interesting. I guess I just never really paid it that much attention. I just never saw Lex as that tall of a guy. Anyways, Lex wants to know where's the answer to his open challenge. There's been no response. Luger says there's three categories in the NWA. There's future stars, as he name drops Pillman and Sid Vicious. They have nothing to lose. There's past stars. He calls them past stars, so he won't name names here. It's kind of them. And there's present stars like Ric Flair, who won't fight Lex anymore. And Sting has muddled in mediocrity since leaving Luger's side earlier this year. Another Lex Luger promo in the books. What'd you think? Wasn't bad. I mean, I wish you would have named some names on some past stars. Tommy Rich, anybody? <laughs> you can't, um, <laughs> can't bury your talent. Uh, why not? Uh, when it's Tommy Rich, you might as well. You, you get nothing out of him. No, I thought he did a good job. It wasn't like, I mean, obviously we all know Lex Luger is conceited and everything, but he actually did a decent job here putting Pillman over and Sid, calling him future stars and things like that. And then he leveraged, you know, present stars like Flair and Sting to put himself over. Again, pretty solid promo. Uh, the only problem is we know we're going to hear for the next three weeks. <laughs> yeah, every time, like we said last episode, every time we hear a new promo from Lex, it's the only promo we're going to hear for about three weeks. It's kind of smart, but at the same time, it's overplayed because we're watching every single episode of TV. We move on, and there is a new vignette with somebody. It's with woman, and last week we saw a woman with a glass of wine and a rose in hand as she explained just a little bit about why she turned on the Steiners and who Doom were. Here this week, she elaborates just a little more. And I think you mentioned last on last episode that if you can get past her delivery and pay attention to the words, it's a really well done segment, but it's very hard to get past her delivery. Is She's very much a deer in headlights here. Not the best promo. Great to look at, and she gets it. Her mannerisms, her, her facials and things at ringside, she gets it. But as a promo, not very good. Yeah, I agree. I know you mentioned like Teddy Long, how good his delivery was like on his very first promo after the angle where he turned into a manager. Uh, Teddy Long, she is not. <laughs> no. She's like the complete opposite. And I think obviously they gave her this, but I don't honestly, I don't think she was 100 percent. I mean, for the gimmick, I think she's ready for that. Mm -hmm. It's just talking on the mic doesn't seem to be she's not ready for that yet. And thankfully, you know, at Halloween Havoc, she gets her guys out there and she doesn't necessarily need to talk. Just send her dudes out there to beat the shit out of people. 
Back to the ring, World Tag Team Champions, the Freebirds, taking on Richard Sartain and Greg Evans. So the old ding-dongs are back together again, without the masks. And the birds just dominate. Garvin and Evans wind up cracking heads, and Evans gets a hot tag to Sartain, if you want to call it that. Garvin also gets the hot tag out to Michael Hayes. Sartain with a little bit of offense on Hayes. Lands a monkey flip, but misses a second one, and Garvin steps in for a boom, DDT. And world champion Freebirds pick up the win. Five minutes, 19 seconds. And it's off to Pettacino Nose. He talks Lex Luger's open challenge. Pettacino says, quarterbacks in the NFL ask if six foot one is tall enough. Is Pillman tall enough for a challenge against Lex Luger? Pettacino says Pillman was ready for the NFL, and he's proved he's ready for Lex too. So they're basically comparing football to wrestling because both Lex and Pillman have a background in professional football before moving on to professional wrestling here. And we'll learn here very shortly if Pillman will be ready when he, uh, well, I won't spoil it. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to World Championship Wrestling. Promo time with the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and uh, uh, Gordon Soli in front of the blue screen. Supposedly, Flair has just left that press conference that Soli discussed last week on the program. says Terry Funk has tried twice to end Ric Flair's career. And it's time for revenge, says the world champion, and to end this once and for all. So basically, Ric Flair admitting he paid the fine. He paid $100,000 in order to gain revenge and end the career of Terry Funk. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know you want to get back at somebody when you're paying a $100,000 fine just to get him back in the ring. So um, I thought this was decent. I mean, I, the promo was his promo. Flair was Flair, but... I think it's a nice little angle, you know. Uh, Flair's so pissed off with Funk, he's going to pay the fine himself. So, um, pretty clever. That hadn't been done before that I know of, uh, for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's certainly another uh, level uh, to the storyline. As uh, Funk basically, as Flair pointed out, tried to end his career, maybe even kill him, I guess, on a couple of occasions at this point. And now Flair, Flair looking for a little revenge here as the movie progresses to maybe the final segment in the film here pretty soon and maybe the good guy will get his vengeance we'll have to wait and see we go back to the ring it's joined in progress three minutes from last week and then the re- remainder of the match here this week it's world champion rick flair taking on dick slater with gary hart in his corner dick slater escapes the figure four and rolls out of the ring to talk with manager gary hart gary hart tries to suffocate flair again this time with a towel apparently they hadn't got the uh the turner hadn't cracked down quite yet on, on the ruling uh, to the floor and Dick Slater sm- uh, tries to smother Ric Flair again. This time they also, I think they use the ring apron, the ring skirt at, at one point to try to smother Ric Flair. And what offense I wrote here as the entire match uh, breaks down is Flair had the upper hand for the first three, four minutes. And then Dick Slater takes over and the remainder seems to be Dick Slater and Gary Hart taking turns trying to murder Ric Flair. <laughs> Pretty much. That's how it felt, but I got to give uh the NWA credit here for pro. They had that match in that last week and then they carried it over to this week. So I thought that was a great idea. Very clever. And it makes you want to tune in. And my guess is this was already in the can before the directive came down. Oh yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, yeah. You can't really blame them. Right. Can you? No, it was, it was more of a joke <laughs> as they continue to, to yeah, try, I got to, you. try to try to murder him here. So Slater winds up working Ric Flair over. Slater has a cast on one hand and I noticed his fist was taped on the other hand. I don't know what the referee was allowing all this to go on, but he was beating the shit out of Flair with both the tape fist and the cast. Gary Hart sends Flair headfirst into the guardrail, and we get a little blade job, but Rick knew it was just TV, 
So we didn't get that big, heavy, flowing blade jump. So just a little small one, but it's Ric Flair. He couldn't help but, but gush a little bit on the forehead for this match. Flair has finally had enough. He fights off Gary Hart and Dick Slater. Slater begs off, but Ric Flair comes back and winds up taking the flip up into the corner. But he's a babyface, Steve. So what happens when he goes to the top rope? He connects with an elbow. Gary Hart tosses Slater the towel to use, but Flair gets it instead. Ric Flair chokes Dick Slater with it, chokes Gary Hart with it, and the heels run off. Counted out in about 10 minutes here. So 10 minutes plus the three minutes last week, 13 minutes altogether. Ric Flair gets the win on a count out and basically looks for a little revenge. Or he's showing, hey man, I can do this too. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. You want to you suffocate me? I'll, I'll choke you guys out. Yeah, it was a solid match. Like I said, it was really cool that they carried it over from last week's episode to this one. There definitely seemed to be improving syndication, uh, all things considered. You know, I've looked online at some of the comments about this era in the NWA at times, and it seems like there's a mixed bag when uh, the jury's out on Dick Slater here. But I'm enjoying Dick Slater here. In fact, I'm not saying he's the greatest wrestler in the world here in 1989, but he's certainly far better than I remembered here in 1989, certainly holding his own, doing just enough to get by anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's definitely, you would think, I think he replaced Funk at the Clash, and you're like, oh, really? We get Dick Slater when we're supposed to get Terry Funk and Gray Muda. So, and then you watch him, and it's like, damn, he's not too far off of Terry Funk. And I'm not saying he's on the level of Terry Funk. Obviously, history has told us it's not the case. But as far as, if you just look at just in-ring, you got to do a double take because it's really, it kind of is hard to differentiate the two. I mean, he sells a lot like Terry Funk. He works a lot like Terry Funk. He even dresses like kind of the same, like with the tights used to like Funk, old school Funk. Oh yeah. Type deal before he went to the pants. So in ring alone, Dick Slater is pretty damn good. Everything else outside the business on the mic, he leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. He's been holding his own and I've been uh, honestly pretty impressed with his stuff with Bobby Eaton, the tag match at the clash. And you hear a flair was a really fun one as well. Not a whole lot of wrestling offense from Slater, but you really don't need that when you're telling the story of trying to murder a guy, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I think it fits. We talk about that all the time too, that you don't want a wrestling match when, when there's that much heat involved. So hats off to them for not forcing a wrestling match on us. I want to see a fight. And we're coming to the close of this episode of Pro. It's a Jim Cornette promo. He says people are making too much of the Midnights and the Dynamic Dudes issues. Cornette re- uh, responds by saying it was the heat of the moment that the Midnights walked out on the Dudes, and the Midnights actually want to thank the Dynamic Dudes. I think that's more Cornette than the Midnights at this point. And Corny says the only issue either team has is with the Freebirds. And one of his teams, either the Midnights or the Dudes, will take the World Tag Team titles very soon. More promo time, and it's with Rick Steiner and Missy Hyatt. I know she's gone soon, Steve, but for as long as she's here, she gets the salute. (laughs) Rick said, and this is so funny, knowing how Scott Steiner got the black eye. Rick says, you draw blood on his brother, you draw blood on him. Rick is mad here. Missy tells him it wasn't his fault. It's not his fault that Scotty was attacked. Missy really showing a lot of sympathy in facials here as Rick's just kind of melting down, uh, mad at himself. And Rick actually, his face turns red, really selling this, screaming incoherently. I wrote, yikes, very scary, angry Rick Steiner as Missy looks on in, in fear. <laughs> yeah. Whew. I wouldn't want that coming at me, you know. <laughs> no thanks. 
But um, the, the uh, anger was real. Like it felt real, but I couldn't understand a damn thing he said. So if you were just yeah, looking at him, uh, you know, looking at him, how pissed off he, he needed to get over the words too. And that's what made it hard for me to really enjoy this promo because dude, you look pissed off, but I have no idea what the hell you just said. Yeah. I have no idea either. He was just rambling incoherent thoughts. And I guess it plays into the character that he was, but definitely not very coherent. Like you mentioned. Yeah, I just I felt like that would have worked perfect if he had somebody else to explain what he was saying. Like if Missy had explained it or if Scott was there to explain it, it would have, it would have worked better. But instead, it's just Rick and Missy, and it was just, I don't know, it didn't work for me. As we go back to the ring, and it's both Steiner brothers led to the ring one more time by the beautiful lady in white, Miss Missy Hyatt, taking on the team of Rusty Riddle and Cruel Connection. And Scott's face, the, uh, the swollen black eye is starting to turn yellow. It's going away. It's healing. That's okay. Still looks nasty as hell, though. And for anybody who missed last episode of the Grenade, you wonder how Scott got that big shiner? He asks his brother to punch him in the face in order to sell the beatdown from Doom and Kevin Sullivan from the limo. So talk about trying to get get your storyline over. Way to go, Scott. (laughs) So ridiculous. So much going on in this match in just a minute and three seconds as Rick actually bites the Cruel Connection's ass. And then the Steiner line on Riddle. Scott Steiner steps in, hits a release German on Riddle. And then Rick back in, finishes off with a belly-to-belly. Again, like I said, only a minute and three seconds. And they they took these two down. Noticeable empty seats facing the hard cameras here. I thought maybe they should have moved some of the crowd around to to fill up the hard camera, facing the hard camera side here. A lot of empty seats in the lower level. Yeah, I didn't really pay attention to that, which is kind of funny. If you listen to our watch-alongs, you know I'm all about that. But, uh... I didn't really pick up on it. This match is very short, so I, if you picked it up then, that's probably why. I was just ready for the show to be over. From top to bottom, it was a very busy show, and you yeah. had a lot of decent stuff in here. You had, you know, the, they were forwarding the, the dudes and the Midnight's pro- program, Flair versus Slater, just a really well-balanced show of, of good stuff. Yeah, Pro seems to be the best syndication by far. Which is crazy because Worldwide's considered to be the better of the two. I mean, it's, that's the way it's supposed to be anyway. Well, not when you got Lance and Bob, right? Uh, well, you know, I guess the, uh, you know, the brass didn't see it that way. Little did they know. We move on <laughs> to NWA Worldwide. Now, this could have been the September 30th show, but you had mentioned there's no way they showed some of these segments that early, and I had to agree with you. So I'm calling this the October 7th show. Pretty sure this is October 7th, so I think most of the people out there with this footage have the date marked wrong we kick the show off with a clip from gordon Sully announcing terry funk's reinstatement and then jim ross touches on funk being back and announcing halloween havoc main event is the thunderdome cage match once again we'll get more into that as the as the weekend goes on we also learn that the trap woman set was meant for rick steiner not scott so it makes a little more sense now and they're doing a really good job of cleanup here steve is what i wrote because we had all of these questions. How does any, how does Robin Green to woman make sense? Why are they attacking Scott Steiner? What is Scott Steiner doing out there on the ball court? They're basically retroactively cleaning this shit up to make it make sense, which kudos to them. Yeah, I, A for effort. You know, they realize there's some, some gaps there in the uh, stories and they're going in to try to fix them. So you can't shit on them for that. They're trying to fix whatever mess they made. So uh, kudos to them. Pre-tape promo from the total package, Lex Luger. We we learn that he will face flying Brian Pillman. Lex says 
Pillman is the only man to have the intestinal fortitude to step up and issue the, uh, accept the open challenge of the United States champion. Lex also says Brian will be laid out just like everyone else. And it's to the ring where the skyscrapers, accompanied by Teddy Long, take on Lee Scott and Price. So we've seen Lee Scott take some crazy bumps from the scrapers, from the SST. We've seen Ge- uh, uh, Price damn near die also against the SST. <laughs> so going into this match with the skyscrapers, I thought we had a pretty good chance of someone breaking their neck. Sadly, this was just an ordinary skyscrapers beatdown as Sid presses Lee Scott out of the ring, presses Lee Scott back into the ring, Dan Spivey tags in, lands a power bomb on Price, and Scott and Price live to see another day as the scrapers get the win in a minute and 19 seconds. Yeah, I was looking forward to it. I seen Lee Scott against the skyscrapers, and I was ready for some whirly birds and power bombs and clotheslines and, and everything else that Lee Scott does well and uh, takes well. And we didn't really get any of that this time. It's kind of unfortunate. He's probably happy he didn't have to deal with it. It's time once again for the NWA update. Another segment they stole straight from the WWF. They don't even try to hide it here. Update. Wow. Skyscrapers and roadies at Halloween Havoc. We already know that, but we get promos from Long and the Scrapers as well as Animal and Ellering. And we move on once again to Woman's Parlor. This is uh, the vignette number two I was talking about. I got a little more detail here as uh, she talks about the Steiners how they will meet their doom at Halloween Havoc. Woman decided the Steiners could have been champs, but she decided no, because they have a weakness in their heart, and that can crumble any man. And doom is just around the corner. She likes keeping that doom in there. The Steiners will meet their doom. Doom is just around the corner. So somebody clearly gave her these li- fed her these lines to use. She'd like to see Rick ringside at Halloween Havoc, so she's still taunting Rick, seeing if she can still woo him and, and lure him in that devious woman this one was better than the first one uh she's doing she's getting there i thought like the message itself is really good it's just the delivery is not she's doing she's doing all right the delivery was a little bit better still not by any means good but she was saying the same shit here for the last couple of weeks and this is just a little yeah. bit more she's had a little bit more so i did like that as well we see the Z-Man versus Trent Knight match once again that we saw on the Power Hour. So we'll move on to Pettacino Nose. It's the same old shit here from Pettacino. Jim Hurd knew Terry Funk wouldn't pay that hundred grand. So like I said before, Ric Flair paid it. And that's, uh, that's where we're at right now as we go to a Terry Funk promo. And here's Funker all by himself in some random dark play. Pitch black behind the Funker as he shines a flashlight at his face to look like something out of a horror movie. Uh, maybe a horror movie host. Terry Funk talks the Thunderdome. The rules are, there are no rules. Terry talks the Terminators on the outside of the cage. Only they're actually inside the cage, Terry. And in order to win the match, you have to get your opponent's Terminator to throw the towel into the ring. Gary Hart will be Terry Funk's Terminator, but who will be Ric Flair's? Terry warns Flair to get a putrid, mean individual. And when we find out who that is, this writes itself. <laughs> Absolutely. Some great foreshadowing there. Yeah, this is a decent promo by Funk. Uh, pretty good. Uh, it's just basically laying the groundwork for Thunderdome because I'm sure there's a lot of questions. Uh, what is Thunderdome? And they're doing a pretty good job of this episode of explaining what exactly Thunderdome is. So that's kind of what this promo is for. We see a replay from Pro of the Midnights getting that rocket launcher squashed before the birds come down and attack. Of course, the dudes come down to aid the Midnights, not that they needed it. 
And of course, more issues between the two teams, which leads to a Jim Cornette promo. Cornette standing there with Dr. Death, the Dynamic Dudes, and the Midnight Express. What a fivesome. I don't know if I'd want to go into war with the dudes. They look absolutely out of place here during this promo with all five guys wrapped around Jim Cornette. Corny says there's three Samoans now. And at Halloween Havoc, it's going to be Midnight Express teaming with Dr. Death, taking on all three Samoans. So even though we haven't seen that third Samoan, that's where we're at there. And the dudes, they get a world tag team title shot against the Freebirds. Stan Lane was great here. Once again, he cuts off the promo. Says Cornette gave the dudes the Midnight Express's title shot and wishes the guys lots of luck. Cornette looks uncomfortable as Lane takes over the promo. And Doc randomly holds out his thumb and just yells, Ho! To end the thing. So Doc just kind of trying to break up the tension there between the dudes and the Midnights, but a great line by Stan Lane, basically congratulating the dudes on getting the Midnight's title shot, or at least that's how Stan sees it. Really clever, very well done, and uh, these guys did really good. Steiner Brothers in the ring, no Missy Hyatt, as they take on Agent Steel and Bob Emery. So Missy gone, Robin's turned heel, she's now woman, the Steiners are now all alone, but they're still as aggressive as ever. More than usual, in fact, because they're, they're coming for doom. And I feel bad for these job guys as they get thrown around the ring. Jim Ross ponders, who is doom? Who are doom? Would be the question, I believe. And Rick with the belly-to-belly on Bob Emery gets the win in only a minute and 17 seconds. We move on to Pettacino Knows. It's more about the Thunderdome. He talks about the rules. He also talks about Lex Luger giving Brian Pillman that open challenge title shot. Can Pillman hold his own with the total package? Pettacino thinks so. That's going to be a great match, man. I can't wait to watch it. Oh, I can't either. And I'm telling you what, we get a video package here of some issues between Brian Pillman and Lex Luger that actually take place on the upcoming episode of World Championship Wrestling, I believe. So we're going to fast forward ahead and kind of look at what happens tonight on World Championship Wrestling. As Lex Luger cuts a promo early on in the show, Brian Pillman accepts his open challenge. Luger says he has a commitment tonight to take on Richard Sartain. Instead of flying Brian, and then we end up getting the Lex Luger and Sartain match, or no, we don't. Pillman down to ringside, talks Sartain into leaving. So we get an impromptu Lex Luger and Brian Pillman brawl, leads to missile dropkick, and an air Pillman humiliates Lex Luger, and he bails from the ring. Lex seems like he doesn't want to get back in the ring, but he decides, you know what? I'm not going to leave it like this. Luger back in the ring for a second brawl, and he's again dumped to the floor, and this time it was great. Lex Luger runs away like a coward through the, through the, it was, it was awesome, Steve. Great angle here to get Brian Pillman over. He looks ready for the total package. Lex has to be so happy. This is night and day from Tommy Rich to be able to work someone the uh, caliber of Brian Pillman. This was very well done. Very clever. Nice single night booking, you know, there on the, on the Saturday night. I know it's been a couple weeks, but the whole angle they shot over Saturday night that we'll talk about more on Saturday night. But I, I got to say, man, Pillman did that dropkick off the top rope, and he landed right on Luger's face. And, <laughs> yes, uh, there it was, was awesome. no way Luger was happy about that. <laughs> There's no way Luger was happy about that. Pretty rough, pretty rough landing <laughs> by Pillman. But, um, yeah, this is great. This is excellent, and it, that's all this feud needed. And I'm more than ready to see them go at it at Halloween Havoc. It's going to be awesome. Following the video, we get a pre-tape promo with Jim Ross with Lex Luger. Luger blames it all on adrenaline. He says adrenaline is a funny thing. Women lift cars, refrigerators, things of that nature off their husbands when they get that adrenaline rush. That's what he chalks it up to. A simple adrenaline rush for Flying Brian. 
Luger says the Division three teams get that first big run and score at the beginning of a college football game, but the Notre Dame team winds up winning 56-7. Brian Pillman is good, but he's not ready to take that next step. What do you think? I thought it was pretty good. You know, relying on his football background and it's about relating things to what people can understand or uh, just explaining away things. I thought it was a great analogy. I mean, Pillman's the up-and-comer. I don't think he's D3 level, but he's clearly uh, he's clearly a new guy and hasn't really established himself as, you know, a huge threat. So it's like, okay, you got the upper hand on me now, but how are you going to finish? How are you going to beat me? How are you going to get me to the point where you can get the one, two, three? So great analogy, pretty good promo. Luke has been on a roll. Different promos, like two different shows. Well, you know, that's what I was going to say. It's he actually has someone to cut a promo on and a reason to cut a promo on them. So now we're actually getting Luger has something to do finally after months of ever since Steamboat's been gone, even though he's been technically feuding with Tommy Rich or at least wrestling Tommy Rich, there's really been nothing to talk about. And now he finally has something to say. So yeah, it's nice to nice change of pace besides just putting himself over. He's actually talking about someone else really fresh for Lex Luger here. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do when you actually have a feud and not named Tommy Rich. <laughs> Pre-tape promo from the Steiner brothers. Scotty says, punch him, kick him, black in his eye, beat him down. He's still back, and he's back with his brother. But Scott notes that there, there are three members of Doom. So as of right now, there are still three members of Doom, and that is not including woman. Promo time with Sting and the Nature Boy talking Halloween Havoc. Flair paid the fine because he wants the match. Thunderdome, biggest cage in the world. Electrified, says the nature boy. Four men enter, two walk away. So Flair hits it home, sells the pay-per-view great, sells the match great, and Sting has to, has to talk. Just had to talk. And says, every night is Halloween for the Stinger. Ow! And I'm going to spoil this right now. Sting is oh forever here in October on his promos. Not very good. Oh, yeah, he's terrible. Talk about biting the, the cable and he has 10 million volts running through his veins. And Flossing his teeth puns. with wires and live yeah. wires. Yeah. yeah. Stings. Oh, my God. Brutal. And Flair's standing right next to him. At any time, he can say, shut the fuck up. Let's start over. You know, <laughs> they just won't do it. Uh, so close out <laughs> the show. It's a quick squash match. Tommy Rich teaming with Eddie Gilbert over Greg Evans and Richard Sartain. For those wondering, no. We don't have the match, but I saw it in the ring, and I'm pretty sure Gilbert and Rich won the match, even though we don't get a finish here on the, on the video. So off to the 605 show, World Championship Wrestling for October 7th, taped only three days prior, October 4th. So we're very fresh as we get a pre-taped promo from Gary Hart. It says you can blindfold him, you can handcuff him, you can stick him in a cage, throw peanuts and bananas at him, but he's, he's not the champion. He's talking to Sting. And the match thing is supposed to have with a great mood. This mat, this entire promo, or at least this part of the promo, is to sell the match at the Omni that doesn't happen. Gary Hart says the board of directors can't fight for the Sting. Gary basically blaming the corporate NWA trying to screw Muda out of the title, but points out that once they get in the ring, nobody can save Sting from the great Muda. And Gary says you you can make stipulations, but you can't help him win. They have to fight for themselves. And at the Omni, the Muda, or Muda will retain the title. Uh, obviously, the match doesn't even happen. But there's the, there's the selling point for tomorrow night's show at the Omni. Yeah, this is a pretty solid promo there by Gary Hart. I thought it was very good. 
like all the things being stacked up against Muda to help Sting get the belt. It, none of it can help you because you still got to get in the ring with Muda. Very good job by Gary Hart there. I thought it was an awesome promo. And since this transpires over the course of the entire program, we're going to break down this Luger and Flying Brian stuff just a little bit better now that we're actually on the show in which it takes place, World Championship Wrestling. We get a promo with the total package, but Flying Brian interrupts the interview. Pillman accepted Lex's open challenge last week. Brian comes out and he's waiting to hear the response from Luger. Luger says besides himself, Pillman's conditioning is second best in the NWA. If Lex was anyone else in the NWA, Brian would have a chance. But Luger is the pinnacle. Lex admires Brian's intestinal fortitude, so he'll give him a match at some point. Brian wonders if he could wrestle Lex tonight. Lex doesn't look too thrilled with that. He tells Pillman to be ready later on and refuses to shake Pillman's hand. Lex tells JR he will have a match with Brian Pillman later in the show. Little does he know. To the ring. <laughs> it's wildfire Tommy Rich taking on Joe Cruz. Somebody say something about a shitty drop kick, Steve. As the wildfire locks in an arm bar, and then, yes, a shitty drop kick. As Jim Cornette on commentary says, Tommy is working a very basic match, a.k.a. boring. Joe Cruz gets control briefly before the Fez press ends this six minutes and 34 seconds. Why? What garbage. I mean, I, the only thing I have down here is what's up with uh, Joe Cruz's hair? I don't know if you noticed, but man, it looks like he had like an extension in his hair <laughs> to get, make possible. it even longer than it normally was because it looked utterly ridiculous. Superstars have long hair here in 1989, don't you? Especially over in the WWF. Maybe he's just, just trying Not to get, get, the, get, the, like uh, get the attention of uh, Vince McMahon and company maybe, you know? Well, I don't know, man, but it is almost down to his ass. And it seems like it grew that way, like, over two weeks. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. I, I don't know, it was weird. But shit, match. I, I'm so tired of Tommy Rich. Hey, man, fuck you, brother. <laughs> what did Missy see in this? Well, you know, he was an idol, man. It's well, I don't know how or why, when, why, who, what, yeah, or I, when, or whatever, but he was an idol. And, uh, hey, man, I, I enjoy watching his stuff from Georgia, but at the same time, man, oh, this 89 stuff is brutal. They mentioned that the living legend Bruno Sammartino will be the referee of the Thunderdome match at Halloween Havoc. They even reference Bruno as the greatest WWF champion of all time, name-dropping the WWF, but haha, we have him now, and he's really, not Hulk Hogan, Bruno is the greatest champion of all time. And I, I thought that was interesting that they even mentioned the WWF like this that was by name, mind you. Instead of saying he's a, a former world champion, they actually refer to him as a former WWF champion, two-time WWF champion. They also sell that parental discretion is advised for Halloween Havoc. First time we've ever heard those words on a wrestling show for a pay-per-view. Yeah, they're really doing their best to hype up this show as something crazy is going to happen or something you probably don't think you want to see but you want to see it anyway kind of that train mech train wreck or uh, car wreck mentality you know you just got to stop and stare type deal so um they're really pushing that hard and it's a great sell for a show named halloween havoc with halloween you could th you could do anything with that everything all the crazy shit happens on halloween so uh, i thought it was very good uh promoting on their part which is something you don't really say a lot about nwa Dynamic dudes to the ring, accompanied by Jim Cornette. The dudes have skateboards with them. And so I wrote, 
This is where the dude should know the fix is in, that Cornette and Midnight's are up to something because Corny would never advise them to bring skateboards to the ring if this was real. And they take on Gene Ligon and Tommy Angel. Jim Ross brings up Stan Lane's no comment from World Championship Wrestling last week, ignoring the conversation on the Power Hour completely. Uh, Maybe it was recorded out of order. I don't really know. I thought it was odd that Ross would mention Stan saying nothing last week, but completely missed the point that Stan said shit for 18 minutes straight on the Power Hour. But it is what it is. And a wipeout on Tommy Angel. Shane Douglas makes the cover and the dudes get the win. Another long, unnecessary match. Five minutes and 32 seconds before the dudes pick up the win. This is pretty sloppy. There was one move there where it looked like Tommy Angel sold a move that looked like Shane, Shane Douglas took. Yeah. Um, it was a disaster. And I'm ready for the payoff because, you know, in the when you're in the ring with the Midnights, you're, you're going to be forced to work and be decent, and they're going to make you look good. So uh, that's probably what it's going to take to make the dynamic dudes somewhat decent in the ring. This is what kills me right here. The dudes go five and a half minutes to pick up their win. Meanwhile, we get a competent team like the Midnight Express rolling out next, also accompanied by their manager, Jim Cornette, taking on Agent Steel and Cruel Connection. Jim Ross points out they're from the same hometown. Parts unknown. So <laughs> Corny just advised the dudes ringside. Now he's managing the Midnights here back to back to keep everything fresh on the minds. Good booking for television as the rocket launcher ends this on Agent Steel in just two and a half minutes. So the dudes get five and a half minutes. Meanwhile, the competent Midnights get two and a half minutes. Seems like Jim Hurd really has it out for the Midnight Express. As we go to promo, it's the Midnights with Jim Cornette. Corny runs down his team's matches for Halloween Havocs, the Midnights and Doc taking on all three Samoans. Meanwhile, the dudes get the world title shot with the Freebirds. Stan Lane wants to know why the dudes have the match for the belts at Havoc. Corny explains why again as he has to continue doing over and over. It's because the Midnights have already received title matches on TV with the Birds, and he had to come up with a new team in order for the Birds to agree for the world title match. Corny tells Stan he did everything he could to get the Midnights the match to be the number one contenders, but it just didn't work out, and the Dudes are getting the world title shot. Stan Lane wants to make sure who Cornette is managing and who he's advising. Really nice line to close the segment by Stan Lane. Just who are you managing and who are you advising at this point? Great stuff. Stanley's doing a really good job. Yeah, I think so, too. Obviously, Bobby Eaton is not going to carry anything as far as uh, promos go. And this few kind of calls for you to be able to talk and do something. Yeah, really good job. Nice dig there, Cornette. Back on commentary, Jim Cornette apologizes for his Midnight Express's comments. Says, Cornette reveals the next piece of the puzzle. Johnny Ace and Stan Lane have a personal issue going back a few years to the Florida Territory days. Corny says he'll straighten it out, and he's been with Bobby for six years, and he knows Bobby Eaton will be on his side. We'll have to see about that. As the show rolls along, Norman the Lunatic, Teddy Long in his corner, taking on Greg Evans. So it's a member of the Ding Dongs taking on a Ding Dong, being Norman, obviously, here. The fans this week give Norman a teddy bear. I don't care if it's a plant. They needed to do something here. Teddy Long takes it from poor old Norman, though, which pisses Norman off. He wants that teddy bear back. Yeah, at least they're finally they're starting that slow turn here again uh, with Norman. Obviously, it didn't work. I, th- I feel like they should have done this from the get-go, see if they can get some sympathy on him instead of making him to be something that made no sense to turn him into this, and now we get it. So I, I feel like if they would have done this from the get-go, they could have been having sympathy on him for four or five months now, 
instead of just getting four or five weeks. So if it even lasts that long, I couldn't, I don't remember, but um, at least they're giving him something. So Norman's upset. He wants that teddy bear back as Teddy Long steals it from him. So in the ring, Norman takes it out on poor Greg Evans with a power slam, a big middle rope splash. But Norman goes after the teddy bear instead of covering Evans. So Teddy Long punt kicks the bear away. And Evans, back in the ring, tries a sunset flip. Don't these guys ever learn? It's always a trip to the Batcave as Norman drops his balls into the face of Greg Evans to get the win in only two minutes (laughs) and four seconds. My note here, stop doing sunset flips on this guy. Seriously, everyone, learn from, from the mistakes of others. Don't any of you guys watch any tape? The more that goes on, is this less believable it is. They yeah. really need to come up with another way to get these dudes underneath him. That sounds <laughs> weird. But uh <laughs> You want to talk that about sounds a little dicey. getting underneath somebody. Let's talk about this woman promo one more time. And once again, it's the same promo, but I wrote here again, she points out the Steiners have a weakness in their hearts. I just want to point out I feel like that weakness is just a little bit lower. But we got the Steiners taking on the debuting Doom at Halloween Havoc, so it's only a matter of weeks before we find out just who these guys really are. To the ring, it's singles competition with Rick Steiner, accompanied by brother Scott and Missy Hyatt, taking on Scrap Iron Bill Ford. Jim Ross has seen Rick since his debut match in the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. He's never been this violent. Rick with a Steiner line, a middle rope power slam, and a belly-to-belly Ends it in 1 minute and 49 seconds. So JR putting over just how violent Rick Steiner has become because of what's happened here with woman. And we go to a promo with the Steiners and Missy Hyatt. Jim Ross tells the Steiners that nobody feels worse for the Steiners than JR does. He can't help but feel a little bit of guilt for this. He kind of coaxed Rick Steiner into dating Robin Green. Scott's eye here as this taping took place is still swollen shut. Rick used to do that to Scott as kids, he says, which is kind of funny because he's the one that did it to Scott right now as well. Missy's still <laughs> playing the background sympathy character. She's standing in the background, looking concerned, worried for Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner, obviously. Doom will look worse than Scott Steiner, says the Steiners. And even woman will look worse. That's, uh, that's uh, gratuitous violence. That's, uh, that's verbal threats, right? Threatening to uh, harm a woman? Yeah, that's a little, that's a little overboard. I felt like I felt like that crossed the line. She's just a mastermind. You don't really want to go after her, but um, maybe they was referencing Missy. But we all know Missy's gone, so that would make it would make more sense if Missy was still around. That's one of those things, man. It's like you, you don't want to get these memos from the NWA or the or from the board telling you to cut this crap out, and then you come out and say stuff like that, and it's just like. That's just going to call for more calls. You're like, oh, they, they threatened to beat up a woman. How tasteless are you? And cue that ECW static noise, Steve. <laughs> or something like that. This is take two. I'm going to break kayfabe here. I'm not going to pretend like everything is flawless and perfect at all times. This is take two on the Wrestling Memory Grenade episode 23. We actually had to stop where we left off last time because a snowstorm on your end, unfortunately, un- unbeknownst to me, until the show got going, and then you had no idea that it was going to cause interference with the internet, but unfortunately, it was causing all kinds of havoc and hell, and I went in and I shaved off 12 minutes of dead air and audio distortion and everything else in between, and I think the first hour, 20 minutes of the show 
Sounds about as good as it's going to. So I do want to apologize to everybody. We did the very best we could. You have no idea how many times we had to stop and start again just to get that much of the show done. And then we came to the conclusion, you know what? We need to just pick this up at a later date. And that's what we're doing now. So Steve, welcome back to the show. (laughs) It was definitely issues galore. So hopefully the internet's good. We're ready to roll and we can get this thing done for you guys. So as you guys are listening to this, you already know where we left off because we just left off 10 seconds ago. For us, it's been a couple days, but we're back. We're in the middle of World Championship Wrestling, and we're talking. We just finished the Steiners promo, and we're moving on to Lex Luger promo number two on the show. Of course, earlier near the top of the show, Lex Luger agreed to give Brian Pillman a match later in the program because he issued that open challenge, and Brian Pillman, the first man to step up to challenge Lex Luger, and he asked for the match tonight. Lex said okay, and now, once again, Lex Luger back out with Jim Ross once more, and he has a different idea, a a different decision now. Jim Ross is looking forward to Lex versus Pillman later tonight, is what he tells the total package here. Lex said he made a commitment for tonight. However, Luger already made a commitment prior to that to wrestle Mr. Richard Sartine, and Jim Ross has to correct him that it's Richard Sartain already. So Lex Luger cannot give Brian Pillman the match Tonight, unfortunately, he has other obligations. He calls it champion's prerogative. Lex will wrestle tonight. He won't deny us the pleasure of seeing Lex Luger in action, but not against Brian Pillman. Fun little segment to continue the storyline. Yeah, it was really good. He doesn't want to tax himself too much before his uh, engagements tonight after wrestling. So um, perfect Lex Luger promo uh, because it's so true on so many levels, knowing Lex Luger the way he was <laughs> back then. So that, I think that's the best part about Luger in 89 is knowing how Luger really was like behind the scenes, once the curtains kind of been opened on him and everybody kind of knows how he is. And then you come back and rewatch this now and you see the way he acts on the promos and things like that after turning heel. And you can feel a lot of authenticity and it, it just oozes as natural. Um, it's not a fake thing. It's it's authentic. It's Lex Luger. This is what you get. And um, it's believable. So it makes it very good. Yeah, I typically roll my eyes at those redundant lines that everyone uses. Like, I won't deny you the pleasure of seeing me wrestle here tonight. But when Luger delivered it here, I, it worked for me in this instance. Not because I believed it, because I'm sure he believed it. But it just worked with Lex Luger and the character. If it is a character. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not a character. That's the best part about it. (laughs) Back to the ring. It's Ranger Ross taking on the Cuban assassin. Typical U.S. versus evil foreigner gimmick here. Back and forth with the basics from both guys. Ranger Ross misses a combat kick. The Cuban picks him up for a slam, but the Cuban misses a diving headbutt, and it's Ranger Ross with a sunset flip to pick up the pin. Eight minutes and 21 seconds. Then something odd happened. The Cuban actually gets up and lays out Ranger Ross with the Cuban's flagpole post-match and i wrote why of course we're going to figure out why later on but it just seemed odd given ranger ross's status right now with the company and then the cuban basically nothing more than the job guy and they're even telling stories under underneath at this point steve it can be a little much at times you know too much to follow but uh this was this was a uh, decent uh you, it makes sense the feud works for me i'm not saying i'm excited to see the matches or anything like that but i'm just in a sense, you're kind of happy that they're giving Ranger all something, even though he hasn't done anything for months. But uh, at least they're giving him something. Yeah, this felt more like something you would do on one of those syndicated shows. We've seen it in the past. They were doing something with Ricky Santana and Bill Irwin, guys like that. It feels more like a syndicated angle, 
Not something I prominently feature here on World Championship Wrestling, but maybe there's more to the story than meets the eye in regards to celebrating the United States. I don't really know. Obviously, we'll see what happens as the shows go on here. Yeah, for sure. Promo time by, well, it's Michael, purely sexy Hayes, or at least that's what he says the PS stands for. The birds drew straws, and he had to come out here to talk about the dudes. Really? Two guys drew straws? And I, I don't know where Jimmy Garvin's been in these promos lately. It's been a lot of Michael Hayes by himself, unfortunately. Uh, I'd, I'd like to hear a little more, yeah, 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 and a lot less Michael Hayes, but it is what it is. Michael Hayes has been here all year long. And he's back to stealing, stealing song lyrics here this week to cut a promo. The birds just came off their greatest victory ever over the Steiner, says Michael Hayes, and the dudes have no chance. Well, if you're looking at it from a theoretical standpoint, point, Hayes does make sense. They beat the Steiner, albeit with a little help from women, but they beat the Steiner. So why am I even feeling like the dudes have a shot? <laughs> because it's the free birds. Other than that, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is, is I did, like we have the exact same notes for this. <laughs> uh, I put he says the birds have come off the biggest win in history, and uh, the dudes have no chance at havoc, and it's almost exactly what you have. So, uh, cliff note version of whatever the hell Michael has Michael Hayes said here. Highlights of the skyscrapers destroying Dick Murdoch from last week, and I think Dick's pretty much already gone again. I know he only comes in for a cup of coffee here, cup of coffee, right here around October. So Dickie might already be gone again as we go to the ring. And who the skyscrapers beating up this week? They're accompanied the ring by Teddy Long, of course, taking on Tim, Powerhouse Parker, and Rick Ryder. Parker unloads on Sid. Jim Ross says he has a death wish. I love that line here by JR. And Ryder takes the whirly bird and Spivey in with the power bomb to get the win in only a minute and three seconds. Another fun skyscraper squash. Absolutely. I'll take it because these uh, Saturday night matches, like squash matches, can go pretty long. Uh, as we found out earlier, but um, this one did not, so I wasn't disappointed. It's back to the promos. This time, the dynamic dudes are with Jim Cornette, and holy shit, Johnny Ace speaks. We haven't heard the dudes really say a whole lot all year long, and now that they have Jim Cornette, even less. But here he is, Johnny Ace, and his throat, you can actually understand him here. He hasn't, he hasn't had that injury that he claims took away his voice. Uh, he thanks the fans for their support. Shane Douglas speaks, too. Tells the birds to take them lightly so that they can come out the new world tag team champions. Jim Cornette promises Ace that he will straighten things out with Stan Lane. So storyline continues there. They get over their match with the Freebirds at Havoc. Did everything it needed to do here in this promo. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was decent. Nothing to write home about, but it wasn't bad. Back to the ring with the Z-Man. And now he's Tom Zink. Now all of a sudden we know all about this Z-Man character. So they've taken away from that mysterious storyline when they started with where he was just the z-man and nobody knew why he was the z-man or anything about the z-man now he's tom zank he's a former mr minnesota and he's a professional wrestler so everything they weren't acknowledging before they're acknowledging now to hope something catches on because this guy is not over just yet as he takes on bob cook z-man nails a reverse body block for two he fakes a second one turns it around middle rope drop kick doesn't make the cover because he'd rather get the win with the exciting sleeper, blah. Three minutes, 21 seconds, Z-Man F you. <laughs> Does this dude ever get over? He said he's not quite over. When does he get over? But Pillman? I think he got over. I don't, I don't want to give it to Pillman. What, you know, it's, uh, that's debatable. 
but I think he was more over certainly in 90 and then even in 91 and except for when he was doing the, the one minute squashes, everybody was there. They were coming in. Of course, did the job for Hanson on his way in, did the job for Vader in his way in, did the job for rude when rude came in at havoc 91 Z man. That, that's what his uh, best thing to do was he would get over all year on the undercard or the mid card, whatever you want to call it. And then they would feed him immediately to whoever the big monster was coming in. And then they beat him in a minute. Poor old Tom Zink. <laughs> Sounds about right for him. Show continues, and this is the third time we're seeing Lex Luger out here, but this is his match with Richard Saltine, Sartine, oh, sorry, Richard Sartane, former member of the Ding Dongs. Brian Pillman comes out, however, and he asks Richard Sartane for his spot in the match. He wants to replace him. Remember, Luger canceled the match just a few segments ago, and now Brian Pillman tells us if Luger's half the man he says he is, he'll fight Brian right now. And it's an impromptu, I don't want to call it a match, it's a brawl, because the match ever ne- never actually gets started. Is Luger's completely shocked that Sartain steps out, Brian Pillman steps in, it's not a p- match, and to get that over, Nick Patrick, the referee, he even leaves the ring before the brawl begins. And Lex Luger jumps Brian Pillman as he climbs into the ring, Pillman takes over, missile dropkick off the rope, sends Luger out of the ring. And it's hilarious too, because what a dropkick right in Luger's face. I think we talked about that briefly before. Nails that dropkick and lands right on Luger's face. Lex couldn't have been happy, but I feel like maybe deep down inside, just this one time, he wasn't so cocky and arrogant about himself, more so than he was just happy that he had something better to work with than whatever the hell he was doing with Tommy Rich. So maybe he ignored this this blatant dropkick right into his... Ow! Right in the schnoz! Total package face. I, I doubt he was happy with that. <laughs> well, he ignores it, nevertheless. He doesn't take it out he on does. Pillman here. No, he doesn't, but I, I'm sure they probably had a word or two in the back. That would be my guess. Like, hey, man. I can see, I can see Lex pulling, hey, hey, come here, buddy, and put his arm around him. And You can't be like, doing you that. You see this face? You see this face? <laughs> Somebody should have recorded that conversation. It would have been. Tr- <laughs> it would have just played into the, the character you know, even better, you know? You know, Lex probably walked over to a mirror and was standing there with Pillman. You see this face? You you damn near broke it into a million pieces. Oh, you better watch your ass, buddy. <laughs> yeah, not only did he dropkick him directly in the face, but he landed on his face as well, but it made it double fun. But yeah, Lex yeah. Ever the Trooper pops right up and gets hit with Air Pillman and Luger Bales out of the ring. Boy, what a way to get this feud going. Brian Pillman picks up the open challenge, steps in, replaces Richard Sartain, unloads on Luger and nails a missile dropkick, and Air Pillman and the champ rolls out of the ring. But Luger collects himself, and he is pissed. Luger actually, to my surprise, steps back in the ring for round two. But Pillman ducks a clothesline and wears Lex out again. And Luger this time, what a great visual. Lex Luger didn't just powder like a heel. He didn't just walk backwards towards the uh, entrance ramp. He ran out of there as if he'd seen a ghost. It was great. I loved it. Watching Lex Luger run 100 miles an hour as fast as Lex Luger can run straight through the curtains and out of the building, presumably. Yeah, it was. This was excellent. This is a great way to get a little heat on this. I know they've been kind of going back and forth verbally, but let them get in the ring and go at each other in this instance. This was awesome. This is one of the better angles of the of '89 for me. Uh, it, what's unfortunate is, and I don't want to go too far ahead, but it seems like we only get the one match at Havoc. I felt like this had a lot of legs to it and could have went probably. I think into they wrestle again the at the 90s. Clash, actually. I think oh, this good. goes through into the November clash. So we get a little bit more, if I if I remember correctly. 
And it'd be not like the, the thing that I like this could go into 90 easy. Like, oh, yeah. This could have this this easily went extended. into Starcade if Starcade hadn't become what Starcade became. And I look forward to talking about that as we move on because I, I want a fantasy book with you what we would have done with Starcade, but that's shows away from now. That's but yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I think uh, easily. So we move on with the show. We see highlights of what's happened between Ric Flair and Terry Funk, the suffocation, the suspension, the reinstatement. Then we get a pre-tape from Terry Funk, all by his lonesome. And I, le- I LOL'd here as Terry Funk cuts a promo, and he's in the hospital in the background. I love the blue, the green screen. It's a picture of Terry Funk in the hospital holding his injured arm up while Terry Funk's cutting a promo in front of it. It's classic Funk, really. If you guys go back and watch a lot of the old championship wrestling from Florida, Funk would cut promos like this with ridiculous things in the background, uh, garbage dumps and just all kinds of nonsense. And it just reminded me, a throwback of the old Terry Funk promos in the old days here uh, in Florida anyway. And the Funker said his fine is paid by Ric Flair and calls Ric Flair a fool for paying that fine. He pimps the Omni match and the I Quit match scheduled for what? Tomorrow. Tomorrow night in the Omni, they have their very first I Quit match. It won't be their last. Yeah, this is pretty solid. Um, I got to give the NWA credit here with their TV. Like they're really doing a great job of showing recaps and highlight videos and really reinforcing all the the main angles that they have going on. Like they're not letting you forget about them, and that's that's always a plus. I enjoy the recap videos and stuff like that because they, they don't do it every week, but they wait. You know, like th- like the recap you mentioned, it's been months worth of stuff that they show in those recaps, and they kind of did that with the SST and LOD. To kind of remind you, they kind of played out the the, the whatever the massacre Marietta angle, but at the same time, uh, it's still nice to see those recap videos and actually show us what's going on because we didn't have any of that the first five or six months of NWA. So yeah, up uh, it's, until it's refreshing. Yeah, up until the last few months, and I don't even know if it started before Ric Flair took the book or not, but up until then, the only recaps we ever got on an angle in World Championship Wrestling would maybe be the week after they would throw it up like this is what happened last week you remember world championship wrestling used to always start with some big hot thing that happened the week prior and then they would go into the intro other than that though we really didn't see a whole lot of that up until this period where they realized that hey this shit works over there in the wwf maybe we should be doing this too it's also a good idea now with a new booker he's realizing there may be new eyes on the sets every week and you need Mm -hmm. to be caught up on what's been happening so it's a good job even if by watching all these shows is a little redundant for us. It's yeah. it's still a good job. I'm looking at it from the like an aspect of like what you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, if you miss a show or two and something happened on those shows as you missed them, these recap videos really give you that. Obviously, we don't miss anything watching every damn show that's available, whether it's complete or not or whatever the case may be. We're watching everything. So it, it does get old and it. But the positive there for me anyways, you can just kind of fast forward it. You don't necessarily have to watch it because you've seen it 30 times. But Promo time with the World Heavyweight Champion. Nature Boy Ric Flair is next. More I Quit Talk for the Omni tomorrow night against Terry Funk. I imagine they had no plans at this point for this to be at the Clash because they're selling the shit out of the I Quit match tomorrow night in the Omni. Seems like they would have not worked so hard to pimp this one if they knew they were just going to do it again in another month or so. They bleep ass and by God. So now not only can you not curse on TBS, but you can't say God either. And of course, also Ted Turner gave him that note that they couldn't use the word foreign because that was considered a rude word. Instead, they had to call the foreign object an international object. Absolutely ridiculous times in Turner land. 
Yeah, I think there's one of those episodes where they got hit and somebody came in after <laughs> on commentary, like a guest commentator. I think it was Stan Lane. I, th- I can't remember. Somebody corrected it and said, no, it's not foreign. It's an international object. Like they yeah. joined commentary. Maybe even Kevin Solomon, dude. I don't know. There's so many guest commentators sometimes. But somebody came in after like in one of these shows that I just watched for one of these episodes and did that. Like, no, it's international. Like they corrected themselves. So that's ridiculous. I mean, I get it. To a, to a degree, but it is what it is. If you're going to get offended by that, then my goodness. Yeah, they clearly don't believe in post-production here in the NWA, WCW, whatever you want to call it. You can easily just do the voiceover no. later. That doesn't happen here very often at all. <laughs> no, it definitely does not. Yeah, just a simple promo, talking about the I Quit Match Terry Funk here, pushing all the faces in the company, himself, Sting, Brian Pillman, the Road Warriors, the Steiners, pretty much everyone who's at the top of the game right now. Ric Flair's selling them hard trying to get over all the babyface stars. And that's followed up by another promo. This time it's Teddy Long and Paul Ellering. Jim Ross says, the contract was already signed. Remember that, Steve. The contract was already signed for Halloween (laughs) Havoc between the Skyscrapers and the Road Warriors. They've already announced it. And Jim Ross says, it's already been signed. Teddy Long then follows that up by saying, get the contracts out here now so he can sign them. Absolutely fucking ridiculous. Jim Ross shits on Teddy Long and says he doesn't even read them because they've already signed it, which Jim Ross just said if Teddy was even paying attention, I just wrote, geez, what else can you really say here? Jim Cornette, even after the segment was over, tries to explain a way that Teddy Long being green and not reading the contract before he signed it so he didn't realize what he was signing, which just makes Teddy Long look like a complete idiot here. And even Ted, even Paul Ellering chimes in on this whole thing. Everybody did their best not to bury Teddy Long. Teddy Long buried himself. They tried to dig yeah. him out. Yeah, they tried. It didn't work because <laughs> Ross kind of la- or Ross looked at Ellering and told him, you know, the contract's already signed and Ellering plays it off. But yeah, pretty terrible. Ross just explained that they signed the contracts and then Teddy Long asked to sign it again. So miscommunication there, it sounds like. Back to the ring where it's Road Warrior Anna all by his lon- lonesome one more time. Hawks should be back soon full time. He's come to the ring by Paul Ellering. Very quick match. Animal catches Trent Knight coming off the top rope into a power slam in a mere 54 seconds. So Road Warrior Animal still holding down the fort until Hawk returns. Promo time with Animal and Paul Ellering. So Ellering's back after the match. Jim Ross beats the dead horse, making sure the contracts are signed. He verifies again. Jim Ross just won't let this go. Poor Teddy Long verifies again with, with Paul Ellering that the contracts were signed. Ellering knows why Long can forget things like he had already signed this contract after looking at the Road Warriors. So now three people have covered this for Teddy Long. I've already pointed out, I wish they had just forgotten it and ignored it. This is something you need to bury instead of just prominently continuing to discuss this for three segments now. Where's Road Warrior Hawk? He's in training. Is that code for rehab, Steve? I really don't know. Who who am I to say? I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. (laughs) I'm wondering if Hawk's in training, what the hell is Animal doing? Why isn't Animal in training with Hawk? Everybody talks about the weather, says Paul Ellering, but nobody does anything about it. Do something about the roadies, he invites the skyscrapers to. Animal welcomes the skyscrapers to the four corners of doom. These guys need to remove the word doom from their vocabulary with doom on their way in. Lots of putting over Brian Pillman. The Steiners by the other baby faces here as well. Yeah, I wonder if this is a requirement from Flair to constantly get these top 
face is over. It's kind of like what Dusty did, but yeah, Dusty did it to himself. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. everybody had to, to mention Dusty. <laughs> if Sam Houston got a promo, he had to mention Dusty. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, thanks Dusty for giving me my job. But no, I, it, it's good in a sense. But I, you know, it's just these guys are in their own feuds. Let them handle it. That's how I feel. Like I don't need to hear about Pillman and the Steiners every single segment. I know they're awesome. I've seen them. I've heard them. I know they're good. You don't have to remind me that they're good constantly. So it's a little bit overkill, if you ask me. And that that could just be how much we watch, to be honest with you. Well, it's well, Flair did it in the same show, so it's twice in the same yeah. show now. And yeah. it's, cl- it's clearly it's there's been a, there's been an edict put down by Flair to get the other guys over too. We'll move on to the main event for October eighth, taped in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. We kick things off six man tag team action. Doctor Death, Steve Williams, teaming with the Midnight Express accompanied by Jim Cornette, taking on the team. What a trifecta of job guys here. Lee Scott, Trent Knight, and Jerry Price. And I had to laugh as the match got going because I've heard Jim Cornette mention in the past that he wasn't a fan of the NWA version of the Midnight Express theme. He wanted to use the actual movie Midnight Express theme, the one that they used for years prior to this era. And so anytime he had a chance to sneak into the audio area, he would replace the tape with the original version. And if they, as they start to make their way out, the original version here actually begins to play, not the updated version, the NWA version, the legal version they can use. And it stops midway down the ring. And I, I had to laugh because I figured they caught it as they were making their way. Oh, no, no, we can't play this. So they're halfway down to ringside as the original Mid- Midnight Express theme plays. And then they just cut it right in its tracks. So I think Cornette tried to get one over on him. And this time they, they caught it. As the show gets, or as the match gets going, they're taking on uh, three Samoans at Havoc, our Dr. Death and the Midnight Express. We haven't seen them yet, however. We learn they're Fatu and Samu, the old SST, and their brother, who we'll see here soon. Dr. Death murders Lee Scott and Trent Knight with some shoulder blocks, just explosive, ran through them. I don't think it was just the way they bumped. I think Doc really did just maul them over. Meanwhile, Jerry Price gets lucky here because he's the third one to take the shoulder block. So doc has a little less momentum and just hits him at average speed. So lucky for Jerry price on that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Lee Scott's the best man. Match breaks down into a six way melee with a triple atomic drop. All three job guys were supposed to run into one another, but it's only price and Knight that collide. Lee Scott's timings off because of whoever it was that was atomic dropping him. And he doesn't touch the other two, but he still wobbles around the ring anyway as if he did so. Even when he doesn't get hit with a move, he still tries to sell it the best he can. Kudos to Lee Scott here. They do the old move we saw way back in the summer when they were going into the bash. It's uh, the Midnight Express tossing the job guy, in this instance, Trent Knight, the original guy to take this move. They toss him into the air, and he lands into the hands of Dr. Death for a press slam. Very impressive, but nothing like the original. I don't think you can repeat how fluid and flawless and almost fake like like it was superimposed or something they, they used some kind of graphics to make that first one look so beautiful obviously <laughs> right. they didn't we know the nwa but uh they do it again here and nothing wrong with it is doc in there clotheslines all three jobbers murders all three of them with clotheslines and there's dead jobbers laying everywhere all around the ring jim ross calls it a wreck on the interstate which is pretty much what it looked like dead bodies laying everywhere is dr death Lands the power slam, the Oklahoma Stampede, and the rocket launcher from the Midnight Express finished Lee Scott off seven minutes, seven seconds. Definitely an extended squash, but I didn't mind it. No, I didn't either. 
Uh, they're definitely giving like Trent Knight and Lee Scott a little bit more time, and Jerry Price is kind of just throwing in. Is Jerry Price a member of the club? He is not. He almost made it that one week when he almost died, or that one month when he almost died on that Samoan backdrop. But I think, I think <laughs> that was the month that it went to Dwayne Bruce for also almost dying at the hands of Sid. So Jerry Price, sense. a runner-up one time. Okay, so, so he's close enough. So like these are probably three of the best jobbers that this company has, and you can really tell. Uh, you ain't giving seven minutes to any old jobbers, you know, just random ones. These guys right. have busted their ass all year long, so they probably kind of just gave it to them. Like, okay, we're going to give you a seven-minute match because we know you can handle it. And it really gets the Midnights and Doc established even more so as a tag team. I know it's jobbers, but they need the, the time together because Doc's kind of been gone, and they haven't really worked together a whole lot. So it just gives the Samoan SWAT team more to look for. Let's see what else they got to deal with when they come when the time comes. So uh, this was really good. I liked it. We see a replay of Road Warrior Animal versus Jekyll victory from the Power Hour. And I remember you hypothesized before that maybe all of these replays lately on main event were due to all of the Braves games interfering with a lot of the shows, which made sense. But there's no more Braves games. There's no excuse anymore. So I hope they knock this off and we go back to what main event was before, which was unique matches. And I hope we see that sooner rather than later, at least before 89 ends. It would be nice. Yeah, the only problem I have is I'm tired of watching these replay matches and not realizing their replays until like five minutes in. <laughs> That's my problem. I, I don't realize I'm watching a match I've already seen. So I'm, again, wasting time. That's what that is. When you watch so much footage, like for all the podcasts and things that we do, like you need every second you can kind of come up with to right. shave time off. And so when you're sitting here, like, oh, shit, I've seen this before. Damn it. Let's go. Let's move on. So it's uh, when you don't realize it till it's too late, it's like, dang it, there's an opportunity. So Yeah, no, I get it, man. Luckily, I've been very, very lucky. I haven't, I haven't experienced that yet. yet. And I, hope not, I hope not to. <laughs> but I've done it like probably a good five or six times. So that's my fault. <laughs> we go on with the show. It's another promo with Terry Funk and Gary Hart. They're selling Muda versus Sting with Hart in the shark cage tonight at the Omni. Of course, it doesn't happen. And Gary Hart, those, those fucking guy jeans. Gary Hart loves to say guy jean. Uh, the guy jeans are just going to make Muda mad. And Terry Funk isn't mad. Do you know why Terry Funk's not mad, Steve? Because he gets Ric Flair tonight in the Omni in an I quit match, and he's going to make that uh, the world champion quit. I presume it's for the world title. So Gary Hart theorizes that there won't be a match. There will be no Thunderdome at Halloween Havoc because they will end Flair's career tonight in the Omni. Even though I question them only selling the Omni cards on TV, this had a great feel to old school feel to it. Really sold the Omni show. It just felt like something important. Even though it wasn't on TV, it just felt very old school. Very, I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, I don't mind it at all. It kind of makes you It makes you wish you could be there to see it. Like, you know, you live in the Atlanta area. You can go to the Omni and watch these shows. Like, I would be way more inclined to go to these shows if I was able to hear these promos and things like that, how hard they push these shows, like the War Games show, the Bass show, I should say, not the War Games. It, this is very well done, and it's a great way to pop a rating, uh, or not a rating, but a house. So it just makes you wish you could see some of these things. We move on with the show. It's a Steiner Brothers promo from last week. Scott has stitches, fractured cheekbone, injured ribs. He refers to Doom as three men, which they are at this point. Rick says they should have come after him instead. 
Scott's eyes still looking nasty here. The Steiners say revenge is theirs. And we move on in the show. It's highlights from yesterday in World Championship Wrestling, the segment between Lex Luger and what was supposed to be Richard Sartain that turned into Flying Brian, of course, the brawl that sees Ow! Right in the stars! Lex Luger run off. That is definitely an angle that I think needs to be featured on these other programs. Good job placing this here on the main event. Yeah, I think so, too. It's that time, Steve. Jim Ross with, by God, good God, woman here. And boy, she she looks, uh, she looks, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, woman wanted to make a powerful impact, Steve. Her goal is power and control. Jim Ross asks, what is her organization's name? She isn't ready to divulge that information just yet, but she is the leader. She breaks hearts. They break legs. It doesn't matter. Jim Ross asks, will we see doom before Halloween Havoc when they take on the Steiners? Woman with a very stern no. She makes it very clear we will not see doom until they debut at the pay-per-view. Doom does what she says when she says it. That's it. What's next for woman? Anything she wants, Steve. She's a beautiful woman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This was a solid promo. I... I think with Ross kind of guiding her and helping her, leading her along a little bit, it definitely helps. Her delivery is a little bit better, especially when she's like paced with the questions and things like that. She's not just cutting a promo by herself where she's just talking, forgets what she's saying, has to pick it up, things like that. So when she's getting interviewed, it's not bad. Uh, and this, I don't think it's on this episode of The Grenade, but it's going to be on the next one, I believe. When she gets interviewed by Cornette, it's really well done as well, so... She's getting better. I think she's getting way more comfortable in her role, and she's awesome. I really think she's – it's different. It's so much different than what you see, like, with Elizabeth or Missy Hyatt. you never really seen a woman in this power-dominating position that she's in. It's kind of refreshing. Like I said, in 89, there, this was, like, brand new for everybody, seeing a woman in power like that. Yeah, it wasn't done very often. That's That's for sure. No. She did She did really well with it, I think. Yeah, I also think she plays better off of people. Like you said, Jim Ross or Cornette. Jim Ross can guide you. He's done it all year. He did it with Teddy Long early on. It takes a real talent to be able to, to do that. Gene Okerlund was very good for that in his prime. I mean, not necessarily – even in the WCW days, though, he tried when guys started to stutter, stammer, forget where they were going, Gene would kind of step in and remind them where they were going or maybe mm-hmm. give them a little hint at what, what to say next. But he was really good at it back in the day, and, and Jim Ross was always good at it, and he did a good job here. I think that's why she does better with playing off of someone than these other vignettes we've seen where she's kind of at it all alone. So I, I agree yeah. with you. This was definitely better than the uh, other vignettes uh, recently. And boy, boy, did she look the part. <laughs> uh, man, woman's just going to be on every banner going from here on out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for, well. For podcast. You know who's not going to be on every banner going out? Tommy Rich. As he teams up here with the hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert, it's a tag team match. Gilbert and Rich taking on the skyscrapers. Oh, man. Sid Vicious and Dan Spivey no-sell Eddie Gilbert's punches as the match gets going. I wrote, geez, because I just, I didn't care for that. I I understand everybody's role here, but it's just, I hate seeing Eddie used like this, as best I can say. Gilbert tries to slide under Dan Spivey's legs. But it's blocked. I didn't know if it was intentionally blocked or not, or if Eddie ran out of uh, sliding room. I don't really know there. So he tries to spot it. Maybe Dan forgot to drop down. I don't really know. But they go for the spot again. Eddie Gilbert tries to slide through Dan's leg a second time. 
Dan drops down to his knees, which I'd never seen done before. Very clever. Basically blocks Eddie from sliding through. So Eddie just stands up and drop kicks Dan Spivey while he's on his knees laughing. I thought it was a really fun spot there. Hadn't seen it before. No, I haven't either. It was really, it was really creative, like you said. I think that initial slide, I think Gilbert just kind of lost his momentum and got stuck in the ring. Yeah. It didn't seem like he hit anything. He, just, he was going through and he lost his momentum somehow. But Yeah, um, it's, it looked very awkward. Yeah, I'm glad they was able to recover and do that spot because it was great. Sid wants a test of strength with Tommy Rich. Oh, my God. Tommy originally kind of reluctant, but Sid spits on the wildfire. and Somebody say something about, don't be spitting on no wildfire. You put out the fire with your spit, Sid. Fuck you, brother. So Tommy Rich here, he agrees to do the test of strength. I I think I would have just punched him. You know, if Tommy's getting spit on, if you spit on me, Steve, I'm hitting you in the face. I'm not locking my hands in a Greco-Roman knuckle lock style here especially if you're Sid Vicious on the other end. But Tommy rocks Sid with some punches finally after they break free and elbows. Sid drops to a knee, so Sid will sell for Tommy Rich, but not Eddie Gilbert. Dear God. Mm -hmm. Tommy Rich tries for a headlock, but Sid ain't having none of that shit. Back suplex. Sid Vicious not having any of the arm bars. I loved it. it. It was tremendous to know that that wasn't happening here. Thank God. The skyscrapers get heat on Tommy Rich, but he makes the tag out to Eddie Gilbert, who nails a sleeping Sid on the apron. Eddie Gilbert uses Tommy Rich's Thez press, stealing his moves, not the guy to steal a move from. Uh, Gilbert with the Thez press on Dan Spivey, who trips over Tommy Rich, and, th- and Gilbert actually connects with the Thez press and gets a two count. Sid comes in after Rich, while referee Tommy Young with Rich, while Teddy Long holds Eddie's foot from behind, causing Eddie to trip up. And Dan Spivey locks it in, hooks it in. It's a spike power bomb on Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert, the one doing the job. Match goes nine minutes and 58 seconds. But writing wasn't on the wall before. It is now for the hot stuff. Yeah, he's definitely done. They got nothing for him. Match was okay. I, I, it was a little sloppy. Tommy Rich is terrible. But I like the finish. I, I like the, the Thez press move with Rich, like kind of the old school trick where you trip somebody. Uh, using the threads, that's pressed to do that was pretty cool. Other than that, this was kind of a nothing match. The power bomb was weak, and it is really weird that Sid would sell for Tommy Rich, but not sell for Eddie Gilbert. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe somebody got in his ear, told him what to do, what not to do. Who knows? But yeah, I agree with you. In, for, in regards to that, that's press spot, the tripping over Tommy Rich, it actually worked well because usually when guys do this, they foreshadow it you can kind of see it coming they almost get a smile on their face <laughs> we're gonna trip them and here it just kind of fluidly happened to where you really didn't realize it was happening until it happened so i do think they did a good job there with that spot but like you said so eddie gilbert does the job and he's you know he's pretty much done here at least as a, a getting a push obviously oh yeah that's been done we move on to the following week nwa power hour october 13th taped in salisbury maryland back on october 2nd we see norman take on tommy angel this match happened on last week's Pro. I don't have to scroll back up to tell you that Tommy Angel probably tried a sunset flip and took a trip to the Batcave there. As we move on to uh, uh, Gordon Soli's WNN, who are the Doom, just like the Sting. Good old Gordon. Gordon thinks the Midnight Express are upset that the dudes are getting a title shot with the birds. You think? No shit, Gordon. Somebody's been hitting the sauce early this week. Thunderdome. Gordon Soli talks the Terminators who will be in the respective corners of both teams. What are the Terminators, Steve? Technically, they're, they're managers of sorts, but they have a very important role. 
They both carry a towel, a white towel to the ring, and the only way to win is to get your opponent's Terminator to throw the towel in. And we get a replay of the Thunderdome video, some big bully music there. It's an electric fying. I don't know if this was originally on the original video. I didn't notice it. But now all of a sudden, blinking on the screen, it says, and they, they you know whoever came up with this thought this was clever as hell. It's not electrifying, Steve. It's electric-fying. <laughs> all right. Somebody popped for that when they came. Oh, you got to put this. this great idea. That's probably Joe Pettacino. I got a great idea. <laughs> Cheeseburgers for everyone. Or at least me. Sounds good to me. Joe knows. <laughs> I will too, but if Joe's in the room, I don't know how many we're going to get. Oh, man. We shouldn't be talking ill of the dead like that. Oh, man. Pedicino knows. He's the fans, man. He's one of us. We can do that. That's right. We will find out on World Championship Wrestling who Sting and Ric Flair have chosen for their Terminator. Gordon thinks all four men should be strip-searched before they enter the electrified cage. <laughs> so they're entering a steel cage, electric-fying steel cage, mind you, with all kinds of weird gadgets inside. Bruno Sammartino is referee, but they should be strip-searched. Could you imagine Bruno standing there while somebody's like check, doing a cavity search on Ric Flair's ass? Because you know Flair's ass will be out first. I wish you would have pulled the audio from Beavis and Butthead of uh, Robert Stack saying cavity search him. <laughs> but... uh. <laughs> We're dealing with two sick individuals, full cavity searchers all around. You can't do this. What in the hell? Yeah, this that that didn't make any sense to me. It's a cage match. You basically have to incapacitate incapacitate your opponent in order for the Terminator to throw in the towel. By any means, I mean they're they're selling this as parental discretion advised. So and Gordon thinks they need to be strip searched, which which would be parental discretion advised. Like, I think if they didn't bring weapons, I would wonder why. Like, why didn't you bring weapons to this match? This course, match Bruno, screams weapons. Right, and we know Bruno Sammartino is the referee, and Gordon says he knows Bruno. He will call it right down the middle. He will not be intimidated. So we know Bruno's the referee. We know the cage is electrifying, and we know now that they have Terminators to throw in the towel. So we basically know everything we need to know other than who the Terminators are going into Halloween Havoc in the main event. Well done and set up as we move on. More action. It's Ric Flair versus Dick Slater. Shown in full from Pro. Of course, it was shown over two episodes of Pro. Here it's shown from beginning to end. Of course, Ric Flair wins that match on a count out. And it's time for Funk's Grill with the Steiner Brothers. Do you know what's funny? What's up? Uh, You you watched it not realizing you saw it before? Huh? You watched it not realizing you saw it before? No, no, not that. That's not funny. But um, no, they showed the. They blurred out the blood on Power Hour, which is on cable, but they show it on syndication, which is right. on basic TV. But, that makes all the sense in the world. Well, it was Turner that came down with the edict, no blood on TV. And this is a Turner, Turner program. So my other, my other argument is those pros probably were, were put out before, before that came down. And you know they, so they <laughs> did do post-production. Maybe. Well, they did here. That was very, they yeah. didn't want to get, get their shit. It would have been the end of the NWA possibly or the end of Ric Flair or someone in, in power. <laughs> I just thought it was odd. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, I, I thought it was really weird too, that they, they, they show the like match. A, it's not like a regular blur, man. Like his whole face is yeah. just like pixelated. You got to do what you got to do back in 89, man. <laughs> when, 
Like they turn it off when he's when you can't really see it, but they miss it a lot. You can clearly see there's blood. Steve, I mean, they bleeped out the words "by God." Jim Ross would have been just, screwed ten years later. Me, man. Jim, Jim Ross would have Jim Ross would have been screwed ten years later, as much as he was said "by God" in the WWF. But <laughs> this is where we are here in the world of Turner in 1989. Is it's time for Funk's Grill. His guests this week, the Steiner Brothers. It's always a fun time when the Steiners stop by Funk's Grill. Terry Funk has advice for the Lovelorn, the Steiners. Rick is dealing with the same thing that's happened throughout history. Samson and Delilah, DiMaggio and Marilyn Monroe, Jim Baker and Jessica Hahn. Rick says he hates all women now. Funk asks what if Scott Steiner was his sister. Rick said he would beat him up too. What about his mommy? Rick says that's different. She had me. Just absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. How does Rick know Scott didn't make advances at woman in the limo, says Funk. That's a good question. How do you know that Scotty didn't make advances at woman? That's why he got the beat down. Scott, here's enough. He never trusted woman from the beginning, but he did it for Rick Steiner. Three guys jump Scotty. They're going for revenge, and the Steiners are coming for revenge. Rick motions a German suplex and makes a fart noise as he does. As he's motioning a German suplex. Funk then in turn imitates the entire spot. Funk does a German and goes, and I wrote, LOL, like what the fuck is going on here? And Rick hooks Funk in a German and the show cuts away. Just, these guys, I don't even fucking know. This is your main event heel that's trying to suffocate someone, but on the power hour, he's like just a different human. Yeah, it's definitely, I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, to me, like Piper was Piper the whole time. Whether right. he's on Piper's pit or in the ring, whatever, that was Roddy Piper. This, like we talked about earlier, this is like you got to compartmentalize Terry Funk. And you got Power Hour Terry Funk, and then you got Terry Funk the rest of the way. And um, I, I'm honestly, I just wonder if they just told him go make, go have fun on the grill, do what you want. And I, I, you can tell it. you can tell from these grills that he's given no directive of anything to do. This is like, all right, well, the Steiners this week go because he he's lost. He doesn't understand storylines. Sometimes he gets guys' names confused. I mean, yeah. every week it's something. And Rick Steiner obviously always looking to have fun anyway. He plays right into Funk here. I don't know that this comedy helped the Steiners angle or Terry Funk at all because the Steiners are supposed to be really pissed off right now, and Rick Steiner's out there hooking Terry Funk and comedy Germans and. And hooking the invisible man in Germans, making fart noises, talking about his mom having him. I, yeah. Was, I mean, I. It was entertaining from it, a comedy yeah, standpoint. Absolutely. What's weird is they cut the danger zone almost immediately. And, but they let this go on and on and on for months. So, um, I get it. You can clearly tell Paul Heyman had some heat. Are you shocked? So last week, we got Road Warrior Animal versus Jacko Victory. This week, it's the Road Warriors. Hawk is back. It's both Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, with Paul Ellering in their corner, taking on the New Zealand Militia, Jacko, and Rip Morgan. This is the continuation from last week. We got two on two now. Of course, Animal won cleanly last week, so whatever. But the roadies dominate for more than seven minutes. Seven minutes of kicking the Militia ass until Hawk misses a top rope clothesline on Jacko Victory. We get a chin lock heat spot on Hawk and man, the main events of the power hour have really fallen off a cliff here lately. Last week, animal and Jacko this week, the roadies and the militia Jack victory finally runs into a boot and a hot tag to animal 
and Rip Morgan gets a tag as well. Morgan ducks an animal clothesline, but turns around into a double clothesline from both Road Warriors, and the Roadies get the win 11 minutes, 19 seconds. It took 11 minutes to beat the militia here. I guess they were just trying to kill some time and fill up time here on the Power Hour. That's all that was. I really like Rip Morgan for some reason. I don't know why, but I think I don't. He's not good by any means, but I think he has a good look. And, I agree. Um, yep. And I, I felt like with some proper guidance and um, things like that, he could have been something because he had the size, he had the look. I mean, he'd fit perfect in the Wyatt family now. I mean, he's just you know twenty years early, but um, uh, I thought he was solid. I like him. Yeah, if he could have got guidance from a uh, a manager that had a lot of history already in the business and knew how to guide him properly and help him, or a real tag team partner, not trying to knock Jacko Victory, but Jack's only going to reach a certain level on the card. Yeah, I think I think Rips looked. Yeah, he could have been right. You're only going to reach a certain level on the card with him as your partner too, and that's unfortunate because yeah, it, feel, it feels like Rip was a wasted opportunity. Wrestlers of the week are the men who just got that win. It's the Road Warriors. Last week it was the Skyscrapers. This week it's the Road Warriors. A little pattern here setting up Halloween Havoc. And as they close the show, Jim Ross announces that Sting and Ric Flair will team up on the main event. They're going to do more damage than Hurricane Hugo. Jim Cornette says, speaking of which, Hurricane Hugo hit Puerto Rico. Did over $5 million in improvements. Oh, my God. And he's a face. I didn't even pick up on that, man. <laughs> it's not funny, but Jesus. Hurricane bro. Hugo hit Puerto Rico and did over $5 million in improvements. Oh, my God. Jim Cornette. And that's a babyface comment in 1989. That's what the United States was doing 30 years ago, Steve. Wow. You can just insult a whole <laughs> island. island. Of my people, yeah. God. Yeah. NWA Pro for October 14th. Salisbury, Maryland taping against Bob and Lancer on the call. Brian Pillman promo kicks off the show. Lex was correct. He's on a plane by himself, but Lex didn't look away from his mirror to realize the plane was owned by Air Pillman. Lex is in for a crash landing at Halloween Havoc. He'll be flying, Lex will be crying, and his title reign is going to be dying, says the uh, flying Brian to kick off the show. I'm telling you, I hate these puns uh, in most people's promos, but Brian Pillman seems to get them over. I'm with you, man. The puns are kind of stupid sometimes, a lot of the times, actually. But the way Pillman delivered it and his conviction in it and everything, like you really buy it like i buy it i I, i'm buying what pillman's selling and i'm not a huge brian pillman fan um we've talked about this a lot before we even did a podcast on on how i feel about pillman and even you to a degree he's not one of my favorites and he's not somebody i really like oh it's pillman who cares this run's really really solid like he came in with kind of a rocket strap to him and he's delivered every single time he's been out there in big moments big matches big promos he hasn't fell out of place, dude. He's cut a better promo than Sting is, and oh, by Sting's far. been there by almost two years now, eighty nine and eighty eight and eighty nine. So he's definitely holding his own, and it's really cool to see. It's really, really unfortunate politics got in the way of him uh, really succeeding, reaching that that upper yeah. echelon that yeah. he deserved to get to because he was he was money. And so we hear from Brian Pillman, but we see the total package: U.S. Champion Lex Luger taking on Jerry Price. Price surprises Lex with a sunset flip early on, and it gets a little bit of offense in. Lex has been doing this a lot lately, getting that heat where the baby faces are getting a few surprise moves on him. But Price misses a drop kick, and Lex picks it up, and it's a torture rack 
to end the match in a mere one minute and 35 seconds. Promo time with Terry Funk and Gary Hart. Once again, Jim Ross conducting the interview. How did Funk come about Gary Hart as his second at the Thunderdome? Funk corrects him. Gary Hart is not a second. He's a Terminator. Gary said they needed someone who was cold, without compassion, sadistic. Gary basically described himself, says the Funker. Hart says Muda's culture, the Oriental, you can't lose in Japan, because if you do, the price is high. He basically implies death, murder, <laughs> by the higher-ups in <laughs> Japan, should you lose. And Terry Funk is a wrestling dynasty. The Funks are a wrestling dynasty. Texans have more pride and guts than any other humans on Earth, and Funk is the greatest Texan of them all. Who is going to be Ric Flair's Terminator? Ponders Funk and Gary Hart. Will it be Brian Pillman? Some tramp? There are no falls, no submissions. You only have to hurt someone. And even then, someone has to throw in the towel. Gary Hart promises the Funker he will not throw in the towel. And Jim Ross closes the segment by reminding us that parental discretion is advised. Maybe the first time I've ever heard that in wrestling history. Yeah, it's really good. It really signifies how dangerous this match is going to be. And I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm not going to say anything about it. But I really, really like how they're doing the interviews with Gary Hart and Terry Funk. And it gets even better on next week's Grenade. So if you need a cliffhanger, it's that. Because I, I can't wait to talk about what they do and end up doing. Um, because this is really, it's being set up right now. And I, I really, really like it. This is one of Gary Hart's better promos of the year so far. Uh, he really did an excellent job of, utilizing the hometowns of the guys to really right. in, enforce the reasoning behind why they are, who they are, what they are, why they can't and, lose, uh, why pride yeah, is why everything. They can't lose. And, yeah. So like, this was, this was excellent. I was like, I was listening and I, I just couldn't stop paying attention and listening. Cause I was hanging on every word he was saying, and you, you don't really get that too often. So Gary Hart did an excellent, excellent job here. Yeah, if there's one thing Ric Flair knows how to book, it's his own angles because he's been doing a fantastic job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Eight-man tag team action as the Midnight Express are forced to team with the Dynamic Dudes. They're advised and managed, take your pick, by Jim Cornette in their corner, taking on the four-man team of Gene Ligon, Scrap Iron Bill Ford, Tony Suber, and Agent Steel. Wow, what a hodgepodge that is. Is Jim advising everyone, managing everyone? What is going on? Kind of confusing to have all four of these guys. Why would the Midnights agree to this? I guess they don't have to. Cornette must have signed the contract. The Midnights won't tag in the dudes. That's the story as the match gets going. It's back and forth. <laughs> Stan Lane and Bob Eaton doing all of the offense on all four job guys that I'm not complaining, Steve. They work all four over, ignoring they ignore the dudes left and right. Shane and Johnny reaching their hand in for tags. Stan and Bobby not even paying attention. Jim Cornette has to walk over to the illegal Midnight Express member, whether it be Eaton or Lane, and nag them to b about making tags to the dudes as well. Eaton with a back superplex on Bill Ford looked awesome. And the jobbers finally wind up getting heat on Bobby because he won't tag the dudes. I want to <laughs> thank the Midnight Express for making this match less shitty. Until six minutes of no dudes before Bill Ford misses an elbow drop, and Johnny Ace has to go and tag himself in. And a wipeout on Bill Ford leads to a melee with the dudes and three and the three other jobbers while the Midnight Express rush in, steal the thunder, flapjack on Ford, and the illegal Stan Lane gets the cover. Six minutes and 56 seconds. And as soon as they win, the Midnights just walk out. They leave <laughs> Cornette in the ring to celebrate with the dudes all by their own. I loved this. If 
for as good as the Flair stuff has been, this has been, and there's no reason why this should be as good, but this has been equally good storytelling. And again, Cornette obviously has his hands all over this one. So Flair and Cornette doing great jobs booking their own storylines anyway. Yeah, this was really good. I mean, the match itself was it was its match. It's it's whatever, but that's not the point of the match. Uh, the point of the match is what happened at the end, and just them totally ignoring the dude. So, again, it's very very simple. It doesn't take rocket science to build a build a feud that makes people interested and intriguing. This this feud is proof of that. Like you said, there's no reason this should be anywhere near as compelling as it is. Like you're just waiting for the payoff, and you. And I think Cornette's actually doing a really good job of kind of being stuck in the middle and doesn't really want to lean one way or the other. He just wants to be able to manage or manage one team and advise the other, however he wants to explain it away. But um, he's doing a great job of staying in the middle and trying to do his best to make everybody happy. So you really don't know for sure. You know what? It's kind of out with the old and with the new type deal. So you just don't know. And it's it's really good. I I really enjoy it. Like you said, it's uh, very, very entertaining. Yeah, it's like they told five stories in one match. Like, they really progressed a lot of things. The Midnight's won't tag the dudes in. How often do we get eight-mans? Rarely at all. And it just happens to be these two teams teaming up. The Midnight's won't tag in. Ace tags himself. And even they didn't even insult our intelligence. Four job guys on Bobby Eaton. Even Bobby Eaton had to do a little, take a little heat there because he's not Sid Vicious. He's not going to fend off four average-sized men at the same time. A little bit of heat. Johnny Ace tags himself in. The Midnights come back in to steal their thunder, get the win, and leave the ring. I love the whole thing. It was uh, probably the only dynamic dudes match all year long that I've actually enjoyed watching. It's probably because they, they really didn't do a whole lot. We move on. Petticino knows. It's uh, another replay of the Thunderdome video, which is fine by me. I can't believe somebody didn't see Big Bully in this video and they ask, who the hell is this guy? Get him signed. I just, I can't believe it. Promo time, and now... It's with Ric Flair and Sting, and they have Flying Brian along with them, accompanied by, or not accompanied by, being interviewed by Bob Cottle. They all talk their matches at Halloween Havoc. Brian Pillman talks Lex Luger. Again, he says, Brian will be flying, Lex will be crying, his title reign will be dying, and the nature boy tonight, he'll be buying, says Brian Pillman, which I, I believe <laughs> all of these things at this point. And we welcome back Sting. I think this is the first time we've seen Sting on TV since the clash with the ankle injury. Ric Flair says, who do they entrust their careers with? Who will be their Terminator at Halloween Havoc? And it's Ole Anderson. We come to find out back in the NWA, so we don't have to wait until World Championship Wrestling. Ole announced right here on Pro. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I could believe it because I I remember the match, but back then, it was a huge deal. Ole hadn't been around in a long time. And here he was back on TV, and... This was the guy, if you wanted a Terminator, you probably couldn't ask for somebody less caring than Ole Anderson. So if you really wanted someone to hold that towel with dear life, Ole was probably the best, better than Gary Hart, I would even say, at this point. Ole says, it's not Bambi as a Terminator, it's the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. Ole puts over the match, he's not throwing the towel in for anything, Bruno San Martino's ready. Hard sell for the match and the pay-per-view, something Ole knew how to do all those years, selling all those Omni shows and everything in between. Really good job. Ole had been a booker forever himself, remember, and been on top forever. He knew how to sell these things, and he comes in, he puts over the match, he puts over the towel gimmick, he puts over the cage, he puts over referee Bruno, he puts over every aspect, and he just got here. Great job by Ole Anderson. Yeah, it makes you wonder if he's been paying attention for a while, trying to figure out where he can come back in, but uh, yeah, this was great. 
this just this just moves that match up that next notch to me. Ole Anderson, for all from all accounts, is a pretty much an asshole through and through. Uh, like you said, he's not gonna. You couldn't pick anybody better to be your Terminator. This is what you want in that gimmick, and um, this was a great, great job. This has to be Ric Flair doing this, bringing him back. I don't know of anyone else that would, to be honest. Right. Yeah. At least Rick realizes what he needed, and he went out and made it happen. So, good job there, Rick. I agree. And on a personal level, a lot of people can be assholes. And from what you hear about Ole Anderson, he sounds like the whole ass. So, Ole Anderson back in the NWA, and <laughs> things will never be the same again. As we go back to the ring, it's the Z-Man taking on Richard Sartain. But he speaks first in an insert promo. I think it's the first time we've heard Tom Zenk speak since he's arrived here in the NWA. Halloween Havoc. He talks all about Halloween Havoc, Steve, and he never stops talking about Halloween Havoc. I think it's a cruel joke that they play on Zink, as basically every time he wrestles from here until Havoc, they give him a promo, and it, just so he can mispronounce the word. Nobody ever corrects him. <laughs> it's and pretty terrible. It's bad. This is where we learn at Halloween Havoc that Tom Zink has Mike Rotundo in a match one-on-one. Match gets brutal, man. It was bad. It was it was fucking bad. It was all eight shades of bad, and I can't believe they kept giving him the the damn fucking pro of Mike after this. And I really truly believed after the fourth or fifth time going into havoc or havoc that they were literally doing it just to get him to say that, make him look like an ass. Somebody somebody was sabotaging the Z Man as as this match gets going, Z-Man tries for the sleeper to start the match. What an exciting way to kick off a match. I'm going to lock you in the sleeper, Steve. It doesn't work. However, two minutes and 57 seconds later, it's Richard Sartain who falls down to the Z-Man's sleeper hold. See you at Halloween Havoc, Mike Retardo. I mean, Retundo, Rotundo, whatever the <laughs> hell. Whatever he called him. My God, brutal. Pettacino knows, and he kicks things off. I don't know about this. He says, a woman's place is at home. I wrote, what the fuck, Joe? Even in 89? But he, he, he explains himself. Woman's ally, we've learned. We haven't learned this yet, Steve, but Joe Pettacino spoils it for us. Her, her ally, the white man in the limo, is Kevin Sullivan. But who is Doom? Woman's place is at home. He meant woman, as in Nancy Sullivan, not women in general. And her place is at a home, as in a rest home. I wrote, what the fuck? I don't even understand any of it. He, he must have thought this sounded like a good idea on paper, and then he actually delivered it. Complete mess of shit here. He's trying to trick us into thinking he's shitting on women in general. Really, he was just talking about woman. I thought this yeah, was this, pretty bad. Yeah, this was horrible. Joe Pettacino needs to go. Joe Pettacino goes should be the name of the program. Sadly, I think he sticks around here till the tail end of the year, maybe the beginning of next year. So I think we're stuck with him until we're done with 89. It's unfortunate. The Steiners again with another promo here on Pro Now. And again, we learned that Kevin Sullivan was the third man in Doom. Scotty had been keeping Rick in control, but no longer. He's going to let Rick loose. Now those three guys, Sullivan and Doom, will pay the price. So they've given away that Kevin Sullivan is one of those members in the limo, though we haven't seen it confirmed yet. So they're doing this a little early. Yeah, are you shocked? I can't say that I'm shocked. I was just disappointed. Yeah, same here. I didn't even realize they even put him in there at all. I just No, I didn't. These are, and a lot of it was basically done on syndication. So 
That's probably how I missed it all these years because I really never went back and looked at syndication. Uh, you know, we've already mentioned this in prior episodes of The Grenade. I just assumed Sullivan was pulled and it was never mentioned again. To see him shown here for a couple of weeks or, or mentioned here for a couple of weeks, I was honestly surprised. Very Probably the second thing all year that really shocked me storyline-wise, I wasn't expecting that we not only get Kevin Sullivan's name mentioned, but he actually does a couple promos, even accompanies woman to ringside. Uh, spoiler alert! Uh, later on for a match. Wow, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I had no clue. I had no idea that he was even a part of it. Yeah, he. Uh, it's it's not until the next episode of the grade that we really talk about it, but it's not too long before he gets pulled from the group, and we'll learn why next week on the show. But this show continues with Terry Funk and the Great Muda. They're with Gary Hart taking on the team of Greg Evans and Lee Scott. And we get some great Muda finally again, too. We really haven't seen a whole lot of Muda lately. In fact, they've really watered down his offense, and we're not seeing him on TV nearly as much as we used to. Yeah, he's been MIA and very lackluster. He's just yeah. going through the motions, it feels like. So. Yeah, uh, his appearances have been sporadic, and when he has been on TV, he hasn't done very much at all. And I don't even know the last time we've seen Mist other than the Clash, but he sprays Mist here on Terry Funk's hand to give him that power of the Samurais once again. Pile driver of death on Lee Scott, who takes it and crumbles up as if his neck had been broken. And that sets up the moonsault, which, it, which ends it in a mere two minutes. Absolutely too short with these two guys in the ring. You give us these five, six-minute Freebird matches, then you give us a two-minute Funk and Muda squash. Pre-tape promo with Jim Cornette as he talks the Halloween Havoc matches for his men. Of course, the Midnights and the Six Man taking on the SST. And the Dudes, they get the title shot with the Birds. Pre-tape promo with Woman. She asks, who was it? that did the job for woman who was man enough rough enough tough enough who got the job done it was kevin sullivan steve and now sullivan steps in several segments after we learned it was kevin Sullivan. this would have been nice if they had aired this first on the show instead of after two segments where they reveal it was kevin sullivan so they they have this all on one episode they just air it out of order basically <laughs> Uh, no way, we're not talking about production values in NWA 89. It's like that, and DQs for getting tossed over the top rope, they're just non-existent. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. You can't be giving away things. And I also have issues kind of giving away stuff on syndication before the big show. Like, WCW is your main show. That's where everything should be, should be shown first. So the fact that Ole was brought out here before they even announced it, like on Saturday night, yeah, that to me is a little, I, I don't like it. I mean, it just kind of devalues your big show. Yeah, we learned that Funk was reinstated on syndication. We learned Ole Anderson's The Terminator on syndication. This Kevin Sullivan stuff, I don't even know if it's really ever addressed on World Championship Wrestling. It feels like more of a syndication storyline, to be honest with you, based on everything I've covered so far. And that is a major issue, the production and airing things on syndication before they happen on World Championship Wrestling. But here there's no excuse. This all happens on one episode. All you have to do yeah. is rearrange the segments, and they don't even bother to do that. Kevin Sullivan says he told woman that a woman can't make an impression on wrestling. She said, you don't know about women. They're the most vicious of species. Kevin said, bring me Rick Steiner's head on a platter. Woman said, how about his heart on a fork? The one thing that interests Kevin about women are women. She gets very excited because she thinks he's going to say, you know, but instead, Kevin implies that the most important thing and that interests him about woman is her money. She looks a little upset that he chose money. 
Kevin says he enjoyed beating up Scott Steiner in the limo, but it'll take Doom to end the Steiners at Halloween Havoc. Doom is coming. And man, Kevin Sullivan just won't let this Steiners thing go. It's been a year or more of Kevin Sullivan wanting revenge on Rick Steiner. Well, he was shagging his woman. I'd be wanting revenge too, right? Did they ever really do that? They never really implied that it got that far. Who knows? Well, he's trying to. I mean, you're going to be upset whether they do it or not. If he's somebody's trying, I'm going to kick somebody's ass. Show goes on. It's the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering taking on Tommy Angel and Rusty Riddle. They scoop Riddle up in a bear hug, and it's the Doomsday Device clothesline that ends it in only a minute and nine seconds. We close the show with a Road Warriors promo. It seems like an impromptu as they take the mic from Gary Michael Capetta and call out the skyscrapers. Now, they're not waiting for Halloween Havoc. Teddy Long and the skyscrapers immediately storm down to ringside to tease a showdown as the roadies get back in the ring. They want the skyscrapers in the ring. Sid and Dan kind of pace back and forth right at ringside. You think you're going to get it? But the show ends. So they really teased it. They really got us going, got those creative juices flowing. What is going to happen here? And then the show closes. So we'll have to wait until Halloween Havoc. What did you think of this? Did you really want to see him get it on, or did you think this was a good call? This is a good call. I don't want to see these guys touch until they get in the ring. Uh, like I talked about earlier in the show, we, I just want to see them beat the hell out of jobbers and kind of one-up each other uh, as they do it, and then we can see them together for the first time in the ring. There's certain things that don't need any physical activity, and this is one of those feuds that don't necessarily need it to get the angle going. You got the greatest tag team of all time. And then you got the guys that are coming up trying to take their spot. It writes itself. It's easy. Don't overdo it. And especially when you got hot angles like Pillman beating the hell out of Luger, uh, all the stuff with funk and flair. I feel like if you try to do it with this and then you try and do it with the midnights and the dudes, I feel like you're going to just water it down with angle after angle after angle. So the slow build, the anticipation those sort of things, it really balances out all the hot angles that they're doing in the top top feuds for the top belts. So good call here. Yeah, as much as I used to hate on a lot of old episodes of Crockett or even Bill Watts in the Mid-South, they'd end the show at a, at a height. Uh, you really want to see the winner of a match or a brawl continue, and then they, they got to go. They're out of time. That's to build to the house shows to get you to pay your money to come see these things. Here, I didn't mind it. That they tease something and we didn't get it because, again, like you said, it makes sense for the, for the match. I, I really think it's a good idea to save this for the pay-per-view. As we move on with NWA Worldwide for October 14th, we open up with Terry Funk in the dark again with that flashlight, that intro promo. As the Funker uh, is trying to sell Halloween Havoc as a ghoulish thing here. And it's a Jim Cornette promo. Stan Lane letting everyone know he has issues with Johnny Ace while they're in different matches. The Midnight's are teaming with Doc and the SST, where Cornette says it's back to Gilligan's Island for all three Samoans, and if the birds underestimate the dudes, the titles will change hands. That's a scary thought. Your choices for tag team champions are either the Freebirds or the Dynamic Dudes. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Road Warrior Animal takes on Lee Scott one-on-one. I popped for Lee Scott here. Then I heard Iron Man, and I got really scared for Lee Scott here. Animal with a press drop, Ultimate Warrior style, and a clothesline ends it here for poor Lee Scott in a matter of 20 seconds. We move on with the NWA update. It's scary Terry Funk doing that Halloween Havoc type promo. What is the Thunderdome match? Asks the Funker. He explains it to us. They're doing a really good job in every promo they ever. It feels like the wheels have been spinning, but they've been going nowhere for weeks on these promos. And now lately, 
Terry Funk's getting better again. Gary Hart's getting better again. They're, they've done a really good job here now that we have what's not necessarily the final piece in the puzzle of the Flair and Funk feud, but it's a major piece anyway. Yeah, we're getting closer to the show. So they're really they're really hard selling this every chance they get with the big guys in the main event. So you're going to see it a lot just because we're what, like I said, we, we said we're watching every episode. So you kind of see these same sort of promos over and over. But if that's if you only see one of these shows each weekend, they're doing a hell of a job on those one and each individual show to really hammer home this pay-per-view, the danger, this Thunderdome match. And uh, they're really, really I think they're really trying to get that curiosity by i mean what the heck's a thunderdome you can explain it but i want to see it so i think they're doing a great job of kind of teasing what it's all about and how dangerous it is just to get those people to buy it and um they're doing a great job lex luger promo time lex is hearing the name flying brian pillman he calls what happened on world championship wrestling an adrenaline fluke pillman's going to get what he wants the title shot is at halloween havoc in front of millions this is Pillman's chance to prove he belongs, but it's not going to happen. Lex Luger is an unbeatable force. Back to the ring, more six-man tag team action. It's Dr. Death teaming with the Midnight Express, taking on Bob Emery, Agent Steel, and Cruel Connection, who is no longer from parts unknown, but rather Lime Green, Alaska. I doubt that's a thing. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> How ridiculous. Dr. Death tosses Emery up for a backdrop onto his head. It was really nasty. He threw him up in a backdrop position, and Emery didn't really know how to take it and kind of came down Beverly Brothers style right on his head, and then a backdrop driver on poor Emery as well. They try that launch from the Midnights into a Dr. Death press slam on Cruel Connection, but the masked man overshoots and actually falls behind Doc. I wrote, uh-oh, because I thought trouble was coming here, but Dr. Death just nails the Oklahoma stampede that ends it on Cruel Connection, and he fucked up the cool finish because you could tell that was where they were going, the... uh the Midnight's launch into the Doc Press Slam should have been the finish here, but instead he has to cover up, nails the Power Slam, Doc still gets the win, 3 minutes and 45 seconds. Unless you're Trent Knight, you shouldn't be trying this spot. Yeah, I agree. It just makes me wonder, too, if it was the his outfit. It's that silky-type fabric where you can easily just slip through that. Um, but it looked pretty rough, and I think Doc kind of laughed about it uh, after he dropped him. Like, oh, well, shit happens. Um, Doc seems real carefree and outgoing. Uh, it's not what I remember of Doc, but uh, it, it's it's entertaining and he's awesome. So uh, it's unfortunate that finish got ruined because that would have been really good. More Petticino knows it's a replay of the Thunderdome video segment, and we move on with another promo. Jim Ross interviews Sting, Flying Brian, and Ric Flair. We saw this on Pro with Bob Cottle as the interviewer, and now it's Jim Ross this time. Pillman says Lex Luger, the package is going to be mishandled and damaged. Turbulence and flight for Air Pillman. Stinger says that Halloween Havoc was made for Sting and Ric Flair. I don't really know what he's talking about here. And Ric Flair pimps the Thunderdome. No mention of Ole Anderson here on Worldwide. So we see Ole on Pro, not even a mention of him on Worldwide. Shit's all over the place as usual. And we continue on with the show. Steiner Brothers promo with Jim Ross as well. Woman's Goon started it. The Steiners will finish it. They won't re be responsible for what they do at Halloween Havoc. And to the ring, it's the Steiner brothers. And there's no more Missy Hyatt as they take on Trent Knight and Richard Sartain. Awesome crowd. As the match gets going, they chant, We want Trent! We want Trent! That could not be good for Trent Knight 
If you're a job guy wrestling the Steiners, you don't want that chant. No, absolutely not, because you're just going to get killed. And not only do they chant for Trent, when he tags in, there's a giant pop. So a lot of smart marks here in the crowd, I think, this week. Big pop for Trent Knight as he tags in and dies. Rick mocks the chant as Trent comes in. He dumps him on his head. Or Scotty dumps him on his head, and Rick yells from the apron, We want Trent! And a rolling belly-to-belly by Scott Steiner on Trent Knight ends this in a mere 1 minute, 11 seconds. Yeah, when you're a job guy, the last thing you want to do is get over with the crowd, especially in the ring against the Steiners, because they're going to take that away from you. Yeah, definitely. Don't do that. I wonder if they did it on purpose, you know, that reverse psychology type deal. Hey, guys, let's cheer for Trent Knight. That way when he gets in, he's going to get destroyed by the Steiners. <laughs> Poor Trent. It felt authentic, though. But I, I just oh, I, I knew when he Where's, tagged where in. Where was this at? Uh, good question. I, I don't think I wrote for this one. I don't know. Could be, I wonder if they're in Pittsburgh. Isn't that where he's from? Yeah, he's from Pittsburgh. I don't know if they did a Pittsburgh taping at this point. I don't know. Who knows? We move, we move on. It's another replay of Pettacino Knows from Pro. It's the one about woman and a woman's place is at home. Uh, Joe Pettacino, Steve, uh, a sexist or sexless? I'll never know how he got Bonnie Blackstone. I guess uh, it does pay to be nice. I'm assuming he was a good guy. Well, that's, he was, a, he was a, a big salesman, Steve, so I guess he was a really good salesman. I guess. Talk about outkicking your coverage. <laughs> oh, my. Shout out to Clay Travis. Um, but, no, that's <laughs> that's I think that's what they had in mind when they talk about outkicking your coverage is that right there. Pettacino did good. Close the show with what we saw last week on the main event. It was the skyscrapers beating Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich with the spike power bomb on Eddie Gilbert. That takes us into the nighttime program. The 605 for October 14th, World Championship Wrestling. Taped back on October 4th, the Dynamic Dudes, advised by Jim Cornette, taking on Lee Scott, Scrap Iron Bill Ford, Ace Crusher on Lee Scott just moments into the match, and then an Ace Crusher on Bill Ford later in the match. Bang, bitches. Two Ace crushers in the same. You can tell Johnny's learned a new move and he's playing with it here. <laughs> yeah, pretty Ra- cool. Rather than the wipeout finisher, the dudes hit a shitty looking suplex crossbody finish on Bill Ford, and now they're stealing from the State Patrol because the couple times the State Patrol have won, this is the move they used. Worse yet, Shane Douglas jumps the wrong way with the crossbody, and instead of clearing the guys, lands on Johnny Ace's face. I wrote, ugh, and why? As the dudes get the win, six minutes, 39 seconds. Maybe he's trying to break uh, his cheekbone again so they can be off for three months and get paid. <laughs> Who knows? Don't fuck but... with the ranch fries. Yeah, that, that crossbody was, that was shit. He took it the wrong way. He went the wrong way, and it, it looked bad. It looks as bad as it sounds. Yeah, and Shane knows better. Yeah, absolutely. Norman, the talent on the team. Right, absolutely. Norman the Lunatic, along with Teddy Long, taking on Ricky Nelson here. Nelson tries the Sunset Flip, but it's a trip to the... This is getting really redundant, this uh, Sunset Flip into the Batcave spot. How many times can this possibly happen before they figure out we need to try something else? Match goes three minutes and seven seconds. If wrestling wasn't fake, just watch Norman matches all in a row, and you'll, you'll be like, huh, maybe this is set up this way. Exposing the business is Norman. What a lunatic. Right before our eyes, and we didn't even realize it. Somebody say something about Thez Press, Steve. It's no. Wildfire Tommy Rich taking on newcomer, newcomer job guy Chris Powers. There is actually a Tommy Rich number one sign 
in the crowd. Who'd he pay off? It's chin Did locks. Missy, make it? uh, Missy was over Tommy Rich a long time ago, I think. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. Chin locks, arm bars. Chris Powers misses a top rope clothesline and gets taken in by the Fest Press. Six minutes, 50 seconds. Seven fucking minutes go the dudes. Seven fucking minutes goes Tommy Rich in squash matches. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. Who, whose idea is this to give Tommy Rich seven minute squash matches? Like, well, who? you know, Jim Cornette and Kevin Sullivan are in charge of TV now. They decide the matches that go long. They decide the times on these matches. They format these shows, and you can argue all day. Hey, Cornette was at ringside for the dudes. He's going to keep himself on TV. No reason to give Tommy Rich seven minutes here to do arm bars. No, like you should reach out to Jim Cornette on Twitter and ask him why the hell did you give Tommy Rich seven minute armbar squashes every Saturday night for us? <laughs> I, I'm very curious. I don't get the uh, idea of this is the kind of match where if my grandfather had walked in the room and st- sat there for a minute, he would have asked me, "Why are you watching this shit?" Because he never came in the room when something good was. I was always something embarrassing. Isn't that the way it always works too? Like a non wrestling fan walks in the room right when you're watching something absolutely embarrassing for the business or something got awfully boring. It just felt like something (laughs) giving birth to a hand. (laughs) Yeah. Something. I mean, yeah, sure. I just remember my grandfather walking in the room and some of the most boring as shit and some of the most ridiculous, like Saba Simba dancing to the ring. My grandpa was like, what the fuck is this? I just, it's, you can't explain it to the people. Like this is not everything. This is just what you happen to be walking in on. Unfortunately. I'm sure my brother's listening to this episode right now waiting for the payoff, so I'll do it. I'll get a pop out of him anyway. He's my grandfather. My brother had stayed the night. We were sitting there watching Saba Simba, maybe in his debut, maybe it's the second match, walking, dancing down to the ring. And it was more funny to us than we were kids, but to hear my grandpa explain what was happening, he goes, look at him, look at him. You know what he's doing right now? He's saying, kiss my ass, kiss my, because it's what Saba was doing. He was, Atlas was like shaking his ass and it was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> was this the one when Piper? That's not Saba. That's Tony Atlas. That's Tony Atlas. I'll never understand that as well. We'll continue on with this show. That's for another year and another promotion. Lex Luger promo over the instant replay. I thought that was really awesome. Did you did you catch that? Like they were showing the instant replay from Tommy Rich's Stez Press, and Lex Luger actually cuts an audio promo. He's talking with Jim Ross in the announce booth, but they're not on them. So Lex talks anyway. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, I picked up on that. I, it was really good. It was different and unique because usually you want to, obviously Lex Luger is probably pissed because he wasn't being shown on TV. But, right, exactly. I thought that was really, really um, well done. Lex was like, why are they showing Tommy Rich? Why aren't they showing? I was wondering the same thing. Why am I watching a Thez press again? <laughs> Pretty much. Promo but, time um, with the Nature Boy and Sting, Steve. We already know this, but now we get it here on TBS. Ole Anderson is introduced as the Terminator, their Terminator for Halloween Havoc and good old Sting, right back to the old promos that make no sense. He picks his teeth with live wire. Well, now that works out for him. <laughs> Might explain the hair. <laughs> Wouldn't explain why he's still alive, though. No, I don't know, man. Sting's all over the place. Like I said, Pillman's killing him in promos, and Pillman's only been there like four months. So um, Sting has some work to do. But I think the thing with Sting, though, the best part about Sting is once he got in the ring, you didn't even think about it. The dude was so unique and different in his work, the way he looked, his style, and everything was just so different. And um, you just kind of forgave him for his promos. I didn't I didn't care to hear Sting talk. I just wanted to see him wrestle. 
Yeah, and that went on for years. I used to say, oh, it's a Sting Pro. I could kind of tune out and just wait for him to do his thing in the ring. Kind of like Ricky Steamboat. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, Steamboat's terrible. It's not. I don't think it's any fault of his own. He's just too nice of a guy to be cutting promos. They introduce Ole Anderson as their Terminator. Ole is not a Boy Scout. He loves pain. They reference the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, almost advertising Arn Anderson in advance here by Ole breaking out the tag team name. And Bruno San Martino will be there too. Ole drives that home in every single promo all the way into the pay-per-view. Even if it's like at the end of a short promo, he just yells, Bruno! Like, that's it. Just Bruno! Like, oh yeah, Bruno too. So Ole always made sure to get Bruno's name into every promo they cut. And it's just shill, shill, shill this pay-per-view from Ole Anderson here. He really knows, I already said, I'll say it again. He really knows how to sell a ticket or sell a pay-per-view. He's like the complete opposite of, uh, what was it, George Scott? Yes, yes. It's been so long, I ever forgot who the hell was booking in the beginning. But, uh, man, like, to shilling nothing to getting somebody like Ole Anderson who knows how to do it, you know, every promo. It's completely, like, the complete 180 there, but it's it's really nice to see. And I think I'm getting excited. Like, I, I can't wait to watch Halloween Havoc. I, I, I haven't seen it in a long time. I've never really seen the the feuds and the progression of every TV from 89. Yeah, every detail, every little detail. Yeah, absolutely. We're getting everything, and it it really takes me back to 1989. I wasn't watching back then, but I can feel like I'm reliving it completely, and it's it's, the anticipation's building. I know we're like two episodes away, this one and the next one, before we get to Havoc, but I, I can't wait to get there. I'm really excited to see this show. We see highlights of what happened between Lex Luger and Flying Brian from last week when Pillman humiliated the total package, and it's Flying Brian in the ring taking on Joe Kazana. Pillman in control for about two minutes when Lex Luger comes out, and he's pissed off about the video re-airing from last week, humiliating him. He runs into the ring and spears Brian Pillman. Lex Luger attacks, allowing Brian Pillman to get the win by disqualification. Two minutes, 24 seconds, and it's a wild brawl. Between Brian Pillman and Lex Luger's punches are thrown, takedowns on the floor outside, and we go into a commercial break. I loved this entire segment. The flair and funk stuff's been building. The dynamic dudes and midnights have been building. And now, in a matter of two weeks, the Pillman and Luger stuff, tremendous here on World Championship Wrestling. This was great because it really told another layer to the story of Luger. Uh, someone so cocky and so conceited as Luger having to live through this again, being laughed at by everyone as they're re-airing it on TV for everyone to see. Luger can't take it, and he charges the ring and to get revenge, and we get this wild brawl that I really hated that we didn't get a payoff here. We went into commercial break, but really exciting. Yeah, this was excellent. These two work really good together. I mean, they're they're kind of built for each other almost, and like we mentioned it a hundred times, like it's really unfortunate that Luger kind of got stuck with Tommy Rich there for a little bit. I'm like you mentioned earlier as well. I'm sure he's so excited that Pillman came into his life because this is night and day difference. You're going from the outhouse to the penthouse uh, with this guy. So um, I, I, this is the match I'm really looking forward to. Obviously, the main event is cool. It's different. It's unique. But I, I'm looking forward to this match the most. And that's that's not me being a Lex Luger fan. I just feel like. It's one of the better booked matches so far on the card. And it's the first time we've had a really decent match for Lex Luger since Steamboat. Yeah. yeah, so um, I'm looking forward to that. Promo time. 
Jim Ross interviews the Z-Man, and he puts over flying Brian Pillman and what Pillman just did with Luger. I thought here, okay, Flair puts over Pillman, but Flair's been here forever. He's the world champion. The roadies put over Pillman. Okay, they've been here for Everybody knows who the road warriors are. The Z-Man's been here a month. He should be worrying about himself instead of putting over other talent at this point. On the, Of course, that leads to them teaming up here and there, but it's, it's kind of odd to hear the Z-Man putting over Brian Pillman, but he's really out here to talk all about Halloween Havoc as he takes on Mike Rotundo at the pay-per-view, and Zink also puts over the Thunderdome, so clearly there's an edict on the paper backstage, put over Thunderdome, put over Halloween Havoc, put over Brian Pillman, and I'm so sure Z-Man cares about Thunderdome right now, but yeah, so just a little bit more about Halloween Havoc as the Z-Man will take on Mike Rotundo. That's going to be, uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Did he say Havoc on this one too in the interview? I don't know. I know he says it on like 10 of them. If he says he the word, it. that's that's how he pronounces it. <laughs> he never pronounces it properly. Wow. Mm. Nobody ever corrects him. All the way to the pay-per-view. And uh, I'm with you, man. It's a rib. <laughs> At this point, it's a rib. Like They, they wrote this shit. They wrote this shit down for him, <laughs> and that's how he pronounced it. And they're like, are you shitting me? Let's see how many times he does this before he catches it. <laughs> and it just, it never happens. It's absolutely re- I got to put a couple of these up just so you guys can hear it. It's more funny if you actually hear him do it. It's more funny when he says it. Oh, God. It's like have, like H-A-V is one word, and then awk. Have awk. Have awk. It's almost separated words. There's like a two-second pause. Yeah, and the sad part is he doesn't just say it once on the promo. It's like three or four times where he says yeah. Havoc, Halloween Havoc, and uh, Rotundo, and things like It's bad. It's brutal. Zink then to the ring where he's no better, taking on Keith Steinborn. It's the sleeper. Or maybe mm. if Jim Ross has his way, it's the Z-Lock. Whatever you want to call it, it's over. Three minutes and 45 seconds. The match is over, not the move or Z, man. <laughs> promo time. With Gene Ligon, you heard me right. Mm. Gene Ligon, and I wrote here immediately, Steve, I wrote, I smell an angle. <laughs> Gene Ligon. What's that? In the year? Didn't they do this earlier in the year? Mm, Where Jobber was getting a promo, a promo, and I don't know if it was Flair or Funk came out and beat him up. I don't it's, know. I don't know, man. I'd have to think back. Uh, I, I don't know here, but I, I saw Gene Ligon. I just wrote, I smell an angle. Ligon oh, yeah. name drops his family by name because he knows he's got like this 10 second window to do it or he'll never get to do it ever again in the history of Gene Ligon's career. So he name drops his brother and some other family members and they all can't wait for Halloween Havoc. They begin to talk about the Lex Luger and Brian Pillman match do Gene Ligon and Jim Ross. At least Ligon can pronounce Halloween Havoc, by the way. Lex Luger comes out. He doesn't want to hear the name Brian Pillman and he attacks Poor Gene Ligon slams him down on the concrete. They sell it as if he's broke his neck out of his body slam on the floor. And did Luger put his shirt back on just to rip it back off? Because if you notice, it comes off during the Brian Pillman fight earlier. And here he has it back on. It's like he's put it back on just to rip it back off here to beat the shit out of poor Gene Ligon. Who knows what likes Luger, but I think Ross kind of fed the line to Gene Ligon. He's like, is your family excited for Halloween Havoc? And Well, that's probably what they like, told yeah. him. Do this angle, yes. man, and get your family over. Why don't you, why don't you, just like they're doing them a favor, why don't you say hello to your family out there while you're getting a few minutes of mic time? You know, that, yeah. that doesn't happen too often there, pal. 
<laughs> I want to say hello to Terry, Tyrell, and Jane out there. That's right. Come on, Gorilla. You know you do it every WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Gorilla. You know you do it every WrestleMania. <laughs> Get those hot dogs out of your mouth. <laughs> Promo oh, time. You guys thick oh. at WrestleMania 6. Yeah, Jesse does. Jesse was really good there. Promo time with Terry Funk and Gary Hart. Funk is thrilled that Ric Flair and Sting went and got Ole Anderson as their Terminator instead of a wimp. This match is going to be a war. Back to the ring. It's our first time since the clash. We see Mike Rotunda or Mike Rotundo. Take your pick. Taking on the Italian Stallion. Rotunda backdrop Stallion out, but it's a ref's judgment. I don't know what happened here. Mike Rotunda legitimately, clearly backdrops Italian Stallion over the top rope to the floor, and both Cornette and Jim Ross have to sell it as, well, it's referee's judgment. Did he do it on purpose? Or not? It was blatant, but it is what it is. And of course, we get an abdominal stretch spot, even in the squash match, and the right-off clothesline butterfly suplex ends it five minutes and two seconds. You got to get Rotunda on TV at least once going into the havoc, I suppose. Yeah. Have you missed Mike Rotunda? I hadn't realized we weren't watching Mike Rotunda until I saw him. I go, oh, yeah. Even when Z-Man mentioned him, I still hadn't realized that we weren't watching Mike Rotunda until we saw Mike Rotunda. And we get a video on the transformation of Robin Green into woman. Clips from the zoo date, the date, of course, where she turns into the woman look. And, uh, and then, of course, the, the limo beatdown on Scott Steiner to keep everyone updated on that feud. Back to the ring, more six-man. Midnight's and Dr. Death taking on Rick Connors, Agent Steele, and Gene Ligon. They let poor Gene Ligon out there to wrestle after what happened earlier. He sells his back from that body slam on the floor all match long. Doc and Corny give a little ho before the match, and Lex and Dr. Death, they hype that Lex Luger will be defending his U.S. title against Dr. Death tomorrow on the main event. But you guys out there don't get too excited about that just yet. Oklahoma Stampede on Connors by Dr. Death. Ends this in four minutes, 53 seconds. The Midnights do not high-five Corny. They leave him hanging after the match. And Cornette goes back on commentary and says he doesn't like powders. And he's going to have a conversation with the Midnight Express following what happened there at the end of that match with the Midnights. And Doc pick up another simple squash. And it's time for the Thunderdome video. As the show rolls on with a promo from the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering, they talk to Skyscrapers. Speaking of the skyscrapers, they're in the ring, Steve, or at least Sid Vicious is. He's accompanied in the ring by Teddy Long and Dan Spivey in this handicap match as Sid takes on both Jerry Price and Mark, future killer, Kyle. My boy. Whirly Bird on Jerry Price into the corner, really close to Jerry Price breaking his neck on the turnbuckle as Sid spins him into the corner and he lands just inches short of bouncing his head off the turnbuckles and a powerbomb. On Killer Kyle gets the win in a mere 38 seconds. Again, I wrote too short. I didn't mind it. They didn't need to go too long. I mean, I just wanted to see I, more murder. I did too. I always do. It's unfortunate, but it is what it is. We get a replay to remind us how devastating both teams are. It's the old videos we've seen repeatedly throughout the year of the skyscrapers dominating the job guys and the road warriors in action to the Iron Man theme. Back to the ring for television title action as the great Muda takes on Bobby Fulton of the Fantastics, or the new Fantastics, if you will. I don't know if this is the first title defense by Muda or not, at least on TV. I don't remember him defending the title. He's had the belt for about six weeks now. This might be the first time I've seen Muda defend the belt. 
Yeah, Muda's been gone. I have no idea where he's been, and it's unfortunate. But I, this could be his first title match that we've seen on TV. Um, I know he's defending. Well, when did he win it? In September? September 3rd or some Very early September. And then he missed the rematch with Sting at the Omni. On the 8th, yeah. On the 8th. But did they have any matches in between that? Yeah, they worked sure. the house shows. Yeah, they worked the house shows throughout. But very confusing. Okay. We've seen, we saw Muda at the Clash, teaming with Slater. We've seen him here on TV twice, teaming with Funk and Slater. Both matches went a minute or two. Not a whole lot of great mood over the last six weeks, and he's been TV champion the entire time. Is Gary Hart already getting into his head? Hey, man, you're getting too over. They're never going to accept <laughs> you as a Japanese guy. That's only as a babyface. Gary Hart told him, only a ba- you can't get over as a babyface. America doesn't like Japanese or foreign, excuse me, international wrestlers as babyface. It's Gary Hart's story anyway. Who knows? Bobby Fulton out here with those half and half shit tights again. I don't know. You know, he wore these all the way up into the late nineties. If you remember when Tommy Rogers wrestled Bobby Fulton in the first round of the light heavyweight title for the WWF Fulton was rocking these, these tights even then. And he wasn't looking pretty there in the late nineties. Oh, they're hideous now. I mean, whose idea was this? Clearly Bobby Fulton's. Clearly, and then uh, you know, apparently they they had a long lasting impression on Zack Ryder, who tried this out many years later. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It's not. <laughs> it looked like shit in '89. It looked like shit in 2009 or whenever the hell Ryder. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was not. You've seen way look. more Zack Ryder than I have. Woo woo woo. You know it. Fun match as the Great Muda smashes Bobby Fulton with a plancha on the floor. Just Crumpled him to the ground. Great spot there. Top rope reverse body block by Muda ends this. Six minutes, 17 seconds. A fun little TV match. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Did you talk about the suicide dive where he just eats it? Oh, man. That was bad. <laughs> he got it was awesome. In the middle rope it was, and it was he good. just fell right on his face. It was great. Whew. Just for wearing those tights. Yeah, so Fulton about kills himself trying it, and then Muda shows him how it's done. Good stuff by both guys, whether Bobby intended it or not. Yeah. It would be hard to go through an episode of The Grenade leading, in, leading into Halloween Havoc without mentioning Elvira. As that promo continues, it never gets old. Definitely not. Promo time with the Steiner brothers. It's a repeat. As Scott controlled Rick, but he's not going to control him anymore. He's letting Rick Steiner, the dog, face Gremlin out of the cage for their match with Doom and the Steiner brothers in the ring here, taking on Rusty Riddle and Thad Clark. Did I mention before? No, Missy Hyatt. This boings for you, Missy. Thank you for everything you did for the first nine and a half months, ten months here on the grenade. Absolutely. Thank you, Missy Hyatt. You was a tremendous part of this show, and um, we appreciate everything you did. Rick Steiner <laughs> rocking. Yes, lots of ten of them. Ten boing. <laughs> ten ten boing salute. I'll edit that in later, maybe or, or maybe not. I don't know. Rick Steiner rocking some new gear here. He's got a white singlet with a big Michigan M on it. And Scott Steiner, still no singlet yet, but that'll change actually pretty soon here. Rusty Riddle messes up, so he pays for it and eats an overhead belly-to-belly from Rick Steiner. Assisted top rope power slam on the dead Rusty Riddle, and Rick tries to have the referee pin Riddle instead, but the referee can't do that. So Rick, with a belly-to-belly, pins Riddle, 3 minutes, 49 seconds. Cornette says we're having a thank God's baseball's over so we can see the power hour on time party. We're talking about a shoot 
from Jim Cornette, who clearly wasn't happy with wrestling being moved over for that measly baseball. Or at least I'm sure that's how Cornette saw it anyway. Yeah, he, he kind of went in here. Yeah, he can. He actually continues. Rightfully he says, so. He says, next year, maybe the Power Hour will be on before the baseball games so they can be on at a decent time. Talk about shooting. No, nah, man, we're just going to move you to Saturday morning at like 9 o'clock. <laughs> there's you. 9.05, thank you. There's your adjustment. So Turner time. I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what's worse, what's better. Well, I was happy because Spotlight came out at 10 o'clock on Friday nights in my area, so it was very hard trying to flip between both programs. So when it moved to Saturday, I was excited. Every morning, Bonanza followed by the Power Hour. No, I didn't watch Bonanza, but I saw it go, go off every morning. <laughs> Promo time, and it's Ole Anderson all by his lonesome. He talks the Thunderdome rules, and he promises he will not throw in the towel. So under any circumstance. So Ole Anderson just drilling it home. Not that he has to. It's Ole Anderson. I wouldn't expect him to throw a towel in. But he's just reminding us he's not throwing the towel in. Back to the ring for Sting. It's the Stinger in action taking on Tommy Angel. Maybe the first time we've seen Sting back in action since the Clash. Very interesting opening to this match here is Tommy Angel jumps off the apron and attacks Sting. I was really shocked. I didn't see that coming, but that only pisses Sting off. It's a Stinger splash. Scorpion Deathlock gets the win, 2 minutes, 58 seconds. What do you think of old Tommy Angel jumping the Stinger off the apron? It definitely caught you off guard. But I think, you know, after some point, like three, what is it, three-hour taping, four-hour taping, whatever the case may be, I mean, you got to mix it up a little bit. So um, I'm glad they did. It it was definitely different. It kind of just got Sting in the groove, and, you know, it didn't last long. Tommy Angel got taken care of rather easily, but it's pretty cool seeing him get attacked early. At least Sting was giving him that. And we learn at the end of the episode that next week, Jim Cornette will interview woman from her hotel suite. JR says, in depth. And Corny says, as deep as I can go. Wow. <laughs> How about, never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to trash Jim Cornette because I don't need that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I have no reason to. It's just more of Cornette and Jim Ross playing off each other. Obviously, they know their jokes and they... they Set up the uh, the big punchlines here, so I'm going to yeah. interview woman in her hotel suite in depth, as deep as I can go, and that'll conclude the show as they announce that Sting will take on the Super Destroyer next week on the Power Hour, and we'll also see the Great Muda in action. We'll see if any of that actually happens, and we move on to Sunday, October 15th, and the NWA main event. The problem here is I couldn't find the October 15th. NWA main event, and I'm a little more bummed than usual because this was to have Dr. Death challenge Lex Luger for the United States title. That's a match I really wanted to see. Yeah, me too. Um, that that sounds really good on paper. It, the only problem is it's a TV match, so you're not going to get a finish. That would that would have been a cool feud. I mean, that definitely would have been kind of a precursor to the Luger-Stan Hansen angle that they had later on in '90. That would have been pretty entertaining. So unfortunately, we never get it. Out of all of the matches that re-air on Pro, on Main Events, on Power Hour, on Worldwide, this is one of those matches that you would like to see re-aired for obvious reasons, and it's not. We never see this. So unless somebody out there has the October 15th Main Event, please let us know if you do. You can contact us at Wrestling Grenade, R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade, over there on Twitter, or you can also drop us an email at WrestleCopia at gmail.com, and please let us know if you have this footage. I'd love to see it. But 
I do have the results. And the results are Dr. Death gets the win over Lex Luger on a disqualification after Luger breaks down and realizes he needs to use a steel chair. Nails the doc with a steel chair in order to retain his title. And also on this episode of the main event, it's Ric Flair and Sting taking on the State Patrol. So they won't air Luger and Doc next week, but State Patrol versus Flair and Sting, we'll see that next week on the Pro, so we'll talk about that on the next episode of The Grenade. And that wraps it up, Steve. We have concluded the show. It's all over. Yeah, thankfully, the internet acted right the way it's supposed to, and uh, we got this show finished, another one in the books. I'm looking forward to doing the next one. That way we can kind of get caught back up. For all you fans out there, uh, sorry for everything that's <laughs> kind of gone down. We should be back on track and ready to roll here. Uh, I'm, I got all the crap behind me, at least till April. And then um, hopefully everything's behind you on your end. I mean, that's, that's just brutal. Hopefully we can get back in the swing of things and getting back on track. Yeah, like I said, I have notes and everything covered all the way through the middle of November, so I am locked and loaded and ready to go. Next week, it's two more weeks of October 1989, NWA goodness, and in two weeks' time, it's the Halloween Havoc 89 watch-along. So I'm excited for that as we get another pay-per-view coming up here in just two weeks. Uh, Like I said earlier, I'm I'm really, really excited for that show. Uh, The build, all the feuds are awesome. They make sense. Uh, you got your throwing matches like Z-Man and Rotundo, things like that. But this card's shaping up really nice. And the feuds, the angles, everything's just... I don't want to say perfect because every you can critique everything, but this is as good as it gets as far as a pay-per-view build to me anyway. I, I can't wait to watch it, man. It's been like probably 10 years since I've watched 89. Let's get to it. Yeah, it's been quite a while for me too, but I, I remember lots, you know, lots of matches from the show. But to have... This much context leading into it, I'm going to be looking at it from an entirely new light, so I'm looking forward to that as well. And yeah, Steve, I, I, want to, I want to thank you for joining me twice now to get this show in the <laughs> books. I have a few days, or no, I don't have a few days, I have a couple days left to edit this and get this up, so I'm going to jump right on, and as soon as we jump off here, luckily we got started a little early, so we got done a little earlier than usual, and obviously this being part two of the same show, we got done even earlier, so it does give me a few more hours to work with, so... Guys, we are right back on track, as Steve already mentioned. Expect more October NWA goodness next week on the uh, Halloween Havoc Watch Along in two weeks' time. The Monday Warfare Show, always check us out. You guys can go to Spotify, Google Pod, Apple Podcasts, where anywhere and everywhere your podcasting needs are. You can always also go to WrestleCopia.com. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, we have a Patreon account, Steve. Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. 14 tiers of goodness there, including a $5 tier, the all-access tier. What that gets you is all of our other watch-along series. That's the Coliseum Video Series, Saturday Night's Main Event, all of the WCW and WWF pay-per-views and big events that coincide with the Monday Night War and so much more. So, Steve, just want to thank you again, man, for being here. It was, it was fun, man. I'm glad to be a part of the ride here. Big things are happening this year, so uh, we're, I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, we're only a couple months out from moving on, away from 1989 and the NWA. Of course, we'll have more on that in the weeks to come. But we got to get through. More giveaways, too, buddy. More giveaways. They're coming. Absolutely. And we got to get through the rest of October, November, December, and then we're there. We've completed our first entire year here on The Grenade, and I look forward to seeing what's next, what's in store for us next, and what's in store for all you guys next. We kind of have an idea of where we're going, but like I said, we won't get 
too far ahead at this point in time. So once again, I'm your host, Ray Russell. Steve Xset doing a great job as always. Thank you for being here, Steve. And we'll see you guys next time on The Grenade. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. And once again, I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading The Grenade. You can find The Grenade, Monday Warfare, the WrestleCopia News Network, and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. Remember to follow The Grenade on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month. Give it a try and join in on the fun. There's no commitment. Cancel at any time. But we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. Also on Patreon, our Power Hour podcast is now up and running, where we review the current product, recent pay-per-views, and discuss a variety of topics from every era. It's unfiltered, uncensored, and nothing is off-limits on the Power Hour podcast. We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front. We want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021. So we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. Until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there! This is the Z-Man here, one week away, one week away, Saturday night, it's coming up, Halloween Havoc 89.